following podcast is work and picnic safe. Welcome to We Talk Game 17. Now, please pardon our appearance while we're moving into the new Trapdoor Mansion as opposed to the Trapdoor Chicken Coop. We still don't have everything set up. We're all sitting on the floor, on the second floor. We have a makeshift studio set up. Uh, Keith has isolated himself in a clothes closet set up with some sort of milk crates. Stinky's sitting on a pizza box. I don't know what that's about. But I am your host, Wiggly, in the booth, uh, in the clothes closet, Keith LaPosh. Yo. Sitting on the floor to my left, T.T. Schmootkins. Hello, I am T.T. Schmootkins. Welcome to Mighty Trapdoor Mansion. We need to soundproof the new studio or create a sound chamber in the second floor kitchen away from the street. Agreed, agreed. There are children crying and every now and then the very loud, unmuffled motorcycle going by. We're going to definitely have to put up some soundproofing, maybe get some posters on the wall when they move. Of course, all of our media storage over that may help a little bit as well. Why don't you put up some of those anime fanboy shots of the ladies from Dead or Alive Paradise Beach Volleyball? Uh, I, I actually do own one of those posters. <clears throat> But by the same token, I, I do have my framed Storm, Shadow, and Cobra Commander poster already up. And on the wall in back of me, the framed, uncut strip of Wacky Pack stickers from the 1970s. Sitting on the pizza box, as I mentioned, I have no idea why. Stinky the Game Master. Stinky? Yes, when you're going to get the bar set up because I really need to sit in my normal spot at the bar. I'll stink bad news on that one. I don't think the bar's coming over for a few months and... That's going to be on the first floor. Well, you better rig a speaker system and shove my microphone cable down that hole right over there. Uh, I'll shove the microphone cable somewhere. Don't act like you never slept in the bathtub. What? What? (sighs) One day I just want to take sound bits from you and create the Stinky's Book of Wisdom. Jeez, I'm parched too. Oh, we have water. I, I bought uh, I bought a 36-pack of bottled water. Yuck. Don't tell me you're one of those people that don't drink water. What do I look like, a fish? Actually, more like a three-legged prune. Now, I won't be able to bring you downloadable arcade at home this episode because we're sort of in transit here. I really haven't been able to hook up my game systems and whatnot, but... Don't fear, probably a bobble will be heading your way shortly. Before the move, I was able to check out a lot of E3. We hope to put our own We Talk Games spin on E3 all throughout today's show, and especially with the Council of Video Game Millionaires, we will be focusing in on our experiences of E3 in the past, as well as how this year's E3 drew on other elements of classic gaming and games that we also love. And, of course, in honor of the release of Crystal Castle's, some people's favorite arcade game of all time, since that was released in the Xbox Arcade, Franz Langsinger will be our special programming guest on today's show. He was an employee of Tengen, of Atari, he's a game enthusiast, and co-creator of Bitmasters as well. 
Plus, Kyle Von Kubik and Johnny Capcom will be joining us momentarily. Jaden Walker will be back. We're going to really open the doors for portable gaming, especially focusing on the iPod and iPad and iPhone. Jasonia will be back to talk about achievements. Tupayar, who actually attended the E3, will be on a little bit later. Tell us about his impression of the move and other PS3 things in general. And a little bit of Eric Alex as well. So let's get started. In fact, let's not start. Let's go! Keith, my man, let's not waste any more time. Open the line. Let's get Kyle Von Kubik on the horn. Satellite of integrity, go. Kyle Von Kubik. Hey, Wiggly. Yo, man, what's going on? Are you as excited as I am about the 30th year anniversary of Pac-Man? Hey, I saw E3 was going to be the big announcement. One of the biggest announcements that I, I could not wait for was for the newest version. What were they going to do with Pac-Man? Were they going to go back to Pac-Land? He's going to drink coffee and sit on a lawn chair. Was yeah, it was going to be like a new type of arcade game, like a championship edition. Or, or you know, I was really, really looking forward to that versus edition that I've seen in the arcade. It was like a giant tabletop edition with four people able to play Pac-Man championship edition against one another and when you eat the power pellets you can actually eat other pac-mans and this is how you i wish that's what came out it's sort of like a tournament uh, edition i can't remember exactly what they called it but they called it something yeah they called it something like tournament edition or something like this and it it had the ce graphics and it was instead of you know like a cocktail table it was like a giant picnic table or something and it was all hd graphics and because it was just an hd television laid down in it is this an american arcades? I guess it's released all over. So I was really hoping for that to come out, you know, online play and stuff like that. But instead, what do we got? Pac-Man Fever again. <laughs> yeah, you can not, up- not the song. We're not talking about no, that no, classic the, vinyl hit. The Mario Party esque Pac-Man Party game. Now yeah. I I've mentioned this on the We Talk Games message boards that you can actually buy Pac-Man Fever for your PS2 for what was it like two dollars and thirteen cents or something? Penny. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, just have so, to pay for shipping. Exactly. Yeah, it's the shipping <laughs> is more expensive than the game at this point. So yes, what a sad disappointment. These mini games, a collection of mini games starring Pac-Man and starring other Namco characters, but. Who cares? In, in the Pac-Man fever, you could be like the guys from Tekken and stuff, you know? I yeah. mean, that's really digging into the franchise. Now, of course, I don't really like to talk about games that haven't been released yet. I mean, who knows where this can actually go. But I'm going to talk about a game that hasn't been released yet. It looks like crap. <laughs> it does not look good, and you know it. What's that? This new Pac-Man game. You're right. Yeah. It's not right gonna... now, it's not looking so good. This is how you celebrate the 30th year anniversary <sighs> of Pac-Man? What is it? Is it Sonic now? Well, you're supposed to be having Pac-Man a party. Like you're supposed to be having a party with this. Yeah. No, I'm not having a party. My party would be playing Pac-Man. I mean, you play sure. Pac-Man on Google. We talked. We, we dedicated a section of our show last month for Pac-Man Google. Right. I think I think you'd get more enjoyment out of playing that more than you will of this future time. I don't get it. They made such a big deal Namco. about you know, this big celebration, and uh, this is what we get instead: shovelware. Namco, you, know, you better be like, on the show. 
to make yeah, up for this some, release. We're going to get answers. I'm going to work. We're going to get some answers. And but. such, I mean, they have such neat little titles that came out exclusively for the iPhone, the iPod, their big library. And I really was expecting a lot. Yeah. Uh, I saw screenshots of some other Pac-Man game that I believe I posted on uh, the We Talk game site, mm -hmm. and it was not this. <laughs> it was something completely different. It showed, like, very old-school-looking Pac-Man arcade graphics with different colors and things. I don't know what happened to that. Maybe wow. they're still working on it. Maybe they're saving it for the 50th year anniversary. Maybe, maybe they were like, well, we joke. We joke. Here it yes. is. Here's the real thing. Yeah, I, now, if this Pac-Man party would have been released only for the iPad, I think I could have, you know, Given this a pass. I think I could have given this a pass, you know? You play with two people or something sitting at the table. Then I thought, I think this would have been good. I, I, even if it was a board game, I think I would have more excitement for it. Bring bring me out the... Remember the Pac-Man board game? There were power pellets oh, yes, and things I like remember that. that game. And then you had to move the ghosts yourself and stuff like this. Uh, like every role, every move, you had to do that. So, yeah, that's kind of sad. You know what? Let's move on. Speaking of E3, speaking of big news and big announcements like the 3DS, let's talk about a game from 2007 for the DS. Shall we? Oh, uh, yeah, let's. Last episode, I was talking a lot about Wario and Wario Land and uh, my feelings towards that franchise. So I want to talk about Wario Master of Disguise. And I don't believe anyone's talked about it to I've date. I've never heard um, of it. Yes, and uh, this is a Wario game that I guess i missed you can get it used at the wiggly mini mall for less than ten dollars or new for less than eighteen dollars so it's a wow. it's a bit of a bargain bin game and i know we're always into that yeah i'm writing it down now it's got a very old ds game feel about it because you're doing a lot with the stylus oh. um like wario land games in the past it's more puzzle than it is platformer and what you do in this game is you obtain this magic wand that can turn you into different costumed Wario's. And the magic wand, of course, is the stylus in your hand. And what sure. you do is you draw shapes on the screen that actually do resemble the costumes you want to make, and it turns you into these costumes that have different abilities and attributes. Mm. There's eight costumes altogether. There's definitely hours of enjoyment, and this isn't the best Wario game um, that I've played, especially when it comes to handhelds, but... At less than $20, it is definitely a game worth picking up to fill that gap for whatever game you are waiting for that you heard about at E3. Okay. Um, the art style is a little different. It's not the Wario Land art style, and it's not the WarioWare style. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in between there, there's um, kind of the cutscenes that you've seen in the Mario vs. Donkey Kong games. Okay. You know, where they show those static images of this 3D rendered Mario. Sure, sure. You're getting that. But it's fluid animation. It is fun. And it's definitely worth the less than $20 you're going to pay for it. So I definitely do recommend a Wario Master of the Skies. Very good, very good. And hey, let's talk about a game that I know you've played, and so have I on the PlayStation Network. Joe Danger. All right. Yes, this game has so many good things going for it. You know, uh, a while back you talked about Trials HD and how it gave you that evil Knievel feel about it. 
for me, Joe Danger gives you that super Dave Osborne feel. Yes. It's, it's a little bit of the Trials HD, and it's a little bit of the Excite Bike on the Wii mm-hmm. meshed together and something that is truly unique. It's really not aping off of either of those games. Only, I think, in the, maybe the point system and things like this, trying to beat your friends, uh, the comparative yes. scores and stuff. Right, but it's not time-based, which is cool. Right. Although there are tracks that do give you... See, there's certain achievements on the tracks that you can obtain, and some of the achievements do correspond with how fast you do complete them. Mm-hmm. But what's cool about this game now, I know a lot of people are going to be shocked by the $15 price tag that comes along with this game. Mm-hmm. But I'm here to tell you it is well worth your 15 bucks if you enjoyed Trials HD and you also enjoyed Excite Bike or one of the two. I really do think you'll enjoy this game. Yeah, it's more of a cartoony type. Like you said, it contains the quirkiness of a Super Dave Osborne version right. of, of Trials HD. So it's it's cartoony, and uh, but it does have a lot to do with the Excite Bike. It's a lot about uh, jumps, and you can really maneuver your bike all around. You, you elbow grease the motorcycle all around, backwards and forwards, and there's a lot of interesting mechanics with the, the slingshots and trampolines or whatever, <laughs> those things that propel your motorcycle all about. Yeah, it eases you into the game. So at first it seems very simplistic, and then you learn that, oh, yeah, I can do a lot of different tricks, real-world tricks like the Superman and, and Endo and, you know, the wheelie, of course, mm-hmm. in this game. But you don't realize it at first. When you first start playing, you're like, yeah. okay, this is kind of cutesy and basic. But as it, you go, the game becomes deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. So you're switching tracks like you do an Excite Bike, and you're doing huge flips and, and timing jumps off ramps. It's way worth the 15 bucks, and it is a lot of fun. I keep going back to it. I've been playing it for probably about two weeks now. I'm only like 13% into the game because I keep going back to the older tracks and trying to get a higher score than my friends and then the last time I played. Right, and and that's one of the things. Like I picked it up on your recommendation, and I had some PS PlayStation points, and I was like, "Wow, I I did that track so well." You know, I have six hundred points, and then I look at your score, twelve million or something. I'm like, right. "What the?" Yeah, it's very cool because at the very end of each track, a little leaderboard comes up and tells you what your friends got exactly. On- this and as you go you earn uh like i said there's achievements and you earn stars and then to get further in the game you spend these stars to unlock more tracks and every track is teaching you a new method of the gameplay and it's different and unique to itself i'm just really digging this game and i like the fact that it's got a little bit of the the excite bike a little Mm -hmm. bit of the trials hd but it's not a clone of either it's not aping either it's it's definitely doing its own thing and doing it well yeah. For this segment, I'm going to bring Eric Alex on the line. Eric Alex, are you with us? I am. Fantastic. Now, I know that you wanted a sort of tag team on this because Eric Alex Absolutely. probably has a little more experience. He's been touting this on the We Talk Games social media networking site. Go there now, wetalkgames.com. And hey, we are now affiliates with Glide and ThinkGeek. So you can ThinkGeek and get incredibly. I love ThinkGeek. Huge. Di- oh, good. Very good. Get. Incredibly, did you see the prices on this glide? It's like five dollars for a brand new game. It's amazing. Yeah, wild. And, <laughs> and and DVDs if you like those type of things, and CDs if you still are in. I don't think they have VHS and books. Who Get reads your books? media cheap? Yeah, amazing. It's, it's great stuff, and you can share your own stuff, and and it, you know it caters only to those media things. Yeah. All right, so now, what do we want I, to talk about here, Kyle? I wanted Eric to be on the line. 
because he's excited about this game. And really, his talk on We Talk Games got me interested in this game. And of course, I'm talking about Transformers War for Cybertron for every console there is. But I'm going to be talking about the PlayStation variant. And I believe Eric's going to talk about the Xbox. Yep, I got the Xbox. There's also a DS variant. We're not talking about that. And, it's uh, probably nothing like this. There's one for the Wii <laughs> as well, and I'm sure it's for babies. <laughs> <laughs> That's fighting words. Wow. Yes. <laughs> hey, so, uh, uh, hey, speaking of Ralph Lewis, we got to get him back on a show. He, but he's like, he's the paprika of the Wii Talk games. Yeah, only a little bit at a time. Yeah, yeah I, but I, I'm, I'm getting sort of a hankering for the Ralph Lewis. Maybe he'll be on later. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Maybe he will not be on later. No. All right, so tell me about this battle for Cybertron, because I hear this is actually good. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I heard about this game from the numerous GameStop commercials, and I was just like, no, no thanks. And it's not that I wasn't a fan of Transformers when I was a kid. Mm. I'm not the biggest Transformers mark. I was not interested in the movies whatsoever. Right. But when I saw Eric talking about it, I respect his opinions a lot. So I was like, hey, I'll check it out. I'll demo it. So I demoed it on the Xbox. And I was just like, man, this is a lot of fun. And I was getting like sort of sort of like a Halo feeling from this demo because what, what it is is a, a multiplayer deathmatch. And I'm running around. I'm gunning down guys. And essentially what it boils down to, as my girlfriend so eloquently put it, robot men fighting each other. <laughs> What's more awesome than that? So um, I was just like, man, this is a lot of fun. I'm interested in this game. So it, uh, I just picked it up. I, I just started digging into it, and I am having a lot of fun. Well, can you be Bumblebee? Yes. Oh, he's slightly effeminate. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, right off the bat, right from Jump in the campaign missions, and this is what I thought was really cool, uh, you can be Megatron. Oh, neat. Right off the bat, you want to be Megatron? Here, be Megatron. Which I thought was funny, because you could be, like, Barricade and somebody else. And I'm like, who who's picking Barricade <laughs> over Megatron? It's Breakdown. Breakdown. Oh, Breakdown, that's right. Yeah. And I picked Breakdown. <laughs> did you? <laughs> yes, I did. All right, so I guess you've answered my question. Who's these guys? <laughs> now, is Breakdown a tow truck? I'm just assuming. No, he's actually a little sports car. Oh, okay. Hmm. He's a and, quick guy. You know, that brings up a good point. Uh, why are there no lady cars on Cybertron? What's there going are, on? but there wasn't the cartoon. Characters. Oh, well, they, are they? Oh, yes. I see. Okay, I thought it was just a planet of men robot cars. See, this is why Eric's on, because he dug a lot deeper into he, this game than I've been is. able to do. Okay. I've been playing this game a lot. Wow. Just a ton. The campaign is interesting. It starts off so slow. Like, there's two campaigns. There's the Decepticon campaign which is the first part of the story, and then the mm. game ends with the Autobot campaign. Hmm. And the first like couple of missions of the Decepticon campaign, I was like, I am not interested in playing this single player. And then I hit about the third mission, I'm like, hey, okay, here's where it gets good. Oh, all right. And those campaigns are really interesting, the, the boss battles especially. So often you see boss battles, and they're so tacked on. I think... Pretty much the boss battles were what they started with when mm. they designed the campaign mode. Now, see, I'm in the early stages of the game, so let me just, you know, give you a little bit of an idea of what I went through. Yeah, so I got the I, PlayStation 3 version of this game, and right off the bat, I need to download something or, you <laughs> sure. know, load in something. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so I put, I put the game in, it's doing its PlayStation 3 thing, uh -huh. and uh, it's taking forever. 
So I switch channels and let my girlfriend watch what she wants to watch. And, uh, you know, a commercial break goes by. I, I click back and now I'm at three percent and i'm like okay it's been uh it's wow. been four minutes this is an issue so i let her finish her program program ends i switch back i'm at 80 percent. i am still waiting for this thing to load up whatever it needs to load up so i'm getting a little aggravated and then finally it happens i'm at the title screen i press start and now it needs to load something else <laughs> and now i'm still waiting and we- and this load went a little longer than the last one but that's not saying much wow uh, so you know a few hours later a couple sandwiches later no yeah. it wasn't that long but it was incredibly long yeah. uh, as far as loading this game up so then once i finally got into the first mission of the decepticon campaign uh, it crashes on me. Oh, my. And uh, I have Megatron stuck in a box, and I can't get him to get out of there. I'm using the jets, because I knew how to play the game because of the demo. Mm. So I'm trying to jump out of it. He's stuck. So I'm like, crap. So then I, I pause it. I reload from the checkpoint. I get up to the first cinematic. Boom. Crashes again. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> at which point, uh, my girlfriend, Kimberly, very eloquently put... Yo, the PlayStation 3 sucks. And now I'm I'm debating with her why the PlayStation 3 doesn't suck. It's just that the game was ported over to the PlayStation 3, and I'm sure Activision spent more time on the Xbox version. Uh-huh. Nobody's having fun the first two hours of me playing this game. So finally, I get by myself and I start playing the game. And yes, uh, the, these beginning missions are kind of slow, but I'm enjoying it. And I have it at a normal difficulty. It's right in the middle. And it's just challenging enough. And thankfully, I haven't run into any sort of glitch or crash since the initial breaking the plastic off the box. Very good. Yeah, PS3, plan in advance for your gaming, kids. (laughs) Make sure you plan in advance for game night. I think there was a first-day patch that I downloaded on the Xbox. took about two minutes. (laughs) Yeah, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, Eric Alex, what makes this game appealing? I, I cannot fathom actually having fun playing a Transformers game just because of the past this Transformers games. This is one step games. closer to your G.I. Joe, you know, driving a hiss. Okay. It, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, it, it is. It has nothing to do with the movies, so that's, okay, that's what good. hooked me right off the bat. No Shia LaBeouf running around talking about, you know, private moments in his bedroom. No pee jokes. <laughs> yes. It's a prequel to the original cartoon show, okay. which I wasn't a fan of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so this, we're talking about a game where the demo really big time sells the game because I am not a Transformers guy. I don't even know who most of these characters are. Gotcha. <laughs> Which is why you picked the other guy instead of Megatron. <laughs> right. Well, I liked his weapon better, and his special abilities were a little bit better. So yeah. now let me ask you about Megatron. Does he does he turn into a tank? Does he turn into a pistol? What does he? Turn yeah, he doesn't turn into a pistol. Which okay. you know, I guess that's to be expected nowadays. But yes, he turns into a tank. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different weapons, a lot of upgrades, and uh, it's really cool that it, in the multiplayer, there's actually sort of like a perk system and classes that you can be. So, you know, you can be a tank or you know, it's a soldier, or you can actually be um, uh, like a mechanic a, or one something? of those flyers okay. where you can fly around in the jet. I mean, the second mission, you're uh, Starscream. Who's a okay. jet? Mm-hmm. Sure, and you're flying around, and the controls are great. The controls mm. just work. Like I said, I got I get this Halo feeling while I'm playing it, even though it's it's third person, not first person. It controls very fluidly, and it's it's just very cool. 
Right. Now, Eric Alex, when's GoBots coming out? That's why I need to. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to wait for that one. Okay. Actually, it'll probably be on the Wii. Come on, Tonka. <laughs> How many video games has Tonka made, and they've never brought back their GoBots? I mean, wasn't that maybe? Maybe it was Kenner. I don't recall. Anyway, uh, uh, I, I can only afford GoBots. I don't think I can afford this Transformers. So you got to get the transforming things on the cheap. But so you do transform, so that's kind of cool. Now, can you transform at will or? Yes. Okay. That's what really makes this game, you know. The demo was multiplayer, and there were only two cl- two of the four available classes in the demo. But when you get the full game, you can be the scientist if you want to. Hmm. The scientist is a support class, transforms into a jet. So the other day I was playing as the scientist, and we were playing the conquest mode, which is my favorite mode. There's three hot spots on the map. You get points for controlling them. You control them by killing everybody around it and standing on it until a little bar fills up. Ah, gotcha. It's sort of like capture the flag with waiting. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Well, now I understand why you like it, Eric Alex, because there's classes. Right. Yes, it's RPG-esque. Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to create your own transformer. And there's some limitations to it, but... So you'll be playing this, and you'll hear... If you're playing as the Autobots, you hear Optimus Prime telling you, that uh, Node B is being captured. So you'll transform into a jet, burn out to Node B, transform into a a robot, fire off your area effect explosion attack, and start shooting guys. And then as soon as you're done with that, you transform into a jet, fly over to the next node. It's just got a real sense of movement and fun to it that is missing in a lot of these kind of games. Yeah, I was really surprised at how just fluid the game was especially between transforming into your respective vehicle and transforming out of it and how the gunplay worked it's like a satisfying experience because it (laughs) i really had very low expectations for this game when i first saw it but like eric said the demo totally sold me on it and definitely demo this game okay and check it out for yourself i will do it's a lot of fun will do now can you be Soundwave, uh the cassette player and you have ravage i think the saber-toothed tiger and the pterodactyl fly out of you Soundwave turns into a truck for no discernible reason what yes <laughs> wow. he is he's actually very uh instrumental at least in the early stages okay. um, of the game well, i don't know why you wouldn't want uh, your cassette player shooting a machine gun at people <laughs> I find that the voice acting for Soundwave, and I know it's true to the original cartoon, yeah. he's a little hard to understand over the gunfire and explosions a lot of the time. I see. see, I liked it because it did harken back to the cartoon, but I totally see that. And what's funny now is, like, back then, auto-tuning what? But, yeah. like, auto-tuning is so popular now with sure. just making spoof videos, hearing that kind of yeah. made me chuckle a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's an official vocoder, though, but instead of auto-tuning. But, oh, okay. Well, we shall see. Who knows? I'll have to listen to it. There's a lot of fun stuff in that game. Once you get around to the uh, Autobot campaign, you can play as Optimus Prime. And that guy's voice acting, you know, that guy is so iconic. Mm. You know, even I, I wasn't a fan of the cartoon. I hear that guy's voice. I'm like, oh, it's Optimus Prime. Yes. Mm. You're playing that, and you transform into a truck. You start driving down the highway, and you hear that guy say, Autobots, transform and roll out. It's great. <laughs> oh, now you just reminded me that I'll probably get too GD sad because Jazz will not be Scatman Crothers. <laughs> I'm Jazz, serious. I don't think Jazz is in it unless oh, you... Thank He's you. like a pre-order character. Oh, thank you, because I would be just too sad to see Jazz. Now, you, you've, you've played deeper than me. Is Cup 
in uh, the game as well? Or no? I haven't seen him. It seems like the three characters, well... He was the worst Transformer ever. The Autobot characters, there was... Uh, I mean, you play as Optimus Prime, there's Bumblebee, he's on your team. And then there's like a revolving third character. I see. And I think it's like, there's Ratchet, who's uh, mm. an ambulance or something. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. Uh, then there's another guy who's a, some kind of sports car. I'm sure there's going to be more. I'm only two two missions into the Autobot campaign right now. All righty. Well, it sounds delightful. I'm going to have to download the demo, definitely, and see if it's uh, my cup of tea. The development house. It's the guys that made Dark Watch, which we were talking about, the Xbox uh, shooter horror cowboy game. All right. We were talking about many, many We Talk games ago. Right, 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 right. For the original, right? Yeah, for the original yeah. Xbox. Yep, gotcha. That company has a way of, like, they've got a knack for branding. Like, Dark Watch, you looked at it and you thought, they're really trying to make a, some kind of big franchise out of this. Mm. It's got a logo, it's got this. So they really treat the Transformers stuff with that sort of same gravitas. I see. Which, uh, which is pretty interesting. Also, in, in Dark Watch, the character, he really seemed to have a real physical presence as you walked him around. Which was kind of missing in a lot of those games because you kind of just like floated across the ground. Right. This guy like kind of clomped around. You heard his spurs. Now these transformers. I mean, we're talking about twelve foot tall robots, yeah. and they really sort of have that kind of weight as they move around on the screen. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. One of the first missions as Megatron, your two supporting characters jump down this giant pit onto the ground, and I'm like, well, how do I get down there without hurting myself? Forgetting that I was a giant robot. <laughs> yeah. And I just jumped down there and, it, you know, the controller rumbled and uh, I was fine. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So, yeah, they, there definitely was um, a lot of respect shown to the franchise. But don't let the franchise turn you off to the game because, yeah. you know, Eric is uh, not a fan and he's enjoying himself. I'm not a huge fan of this, this new era of mm. Transformers yeah. and I'm enjoying myself so I think a lot of people will be pleasantly surprised by this game alright man well that sounds awesome okay Kai stick around for the council and Eric Alex thank you for joining in I really appreciate it thanks, thanks Alex. see you later bye Kyle Von Kubik and Eric Alex I think Eric Alex and I have a bobble plan it's going to be a little something special I think a little bit out there even for We Talk Games I'm looking forward to do that with him however there's something that I'm cooking that uh, needs to come to fruition first. All right, Keith, let's get Jaden Walker on the line. I feel like talking some iPod in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Jaden Walker, welcome back to the We Talk Games show proper, the flagship show. Hey, always a pleasure to be on The Real Thing. What do you have for us uh, on this episode of We Talk Games for the portable gamer? Well, I got more uh, iPhone and iPad goodness, of course. I'll start you out with one that I can't put down, and I'm so glad I didn't pick this up until the sequel had already launched. It's called Sword and Poker, and the sequel is Sword and Poker 2, obviously. I've been playing the first one on my iPad and the second one on my iPhone. What it is, it's a little RPG, but it's got a little poker-slash-puzzle element to it in the way you do the combat. <laughs> it's set in dungeons, and you have to walk these, uh, these lined pads. You've got a couple variations of how you can move around and the way you find treasures but you keep going up against bad guys and instead of regular RPG style combat you get a little 3 by 3 grid of playing cards <laughs> and then there's a 4 by 4 on the outside of that so you can add an extra card on each side and on the four corners 
<laughs> and you're trying to form poker hands out of a four-card hand that you have and the four-card hand that your opponent has. And based on how good the hand is, that's how much damage it'll do. Oh, interesting. And you take damage and coins. You can upgrade your coin pouch so you can hold more. You don't regain your coins as you go through each floor of the dungeon. So you really have to be careful as to what you're fighting and how well you do. You're going to earn more coins as you go. And you use the coins to buy better weapons. You can buy shields. Uh, You get magic spells, which impact the board. Like One of them will sort everything by numerical value. Another will sort by suit. Uh, One, you can steal up to two cards from your opponent's hand. And I just, I can't put this this stupid game down. It is so much fun and it's so relaxing. So now you, you don't actually collect any type of new cards or things like that, but you, you build up your the role-playing elements of it through playing cards. Right, right. You basically just collect money to spend in a store to upgrade your life, how much damage you deal, and uh, how good your shield is. Oh, I see. Very good. And uh, sticking to the portable gaming, although you, you would have to play this on the Turbo Express, I guess, which, by the way, Hey, let's let's take a look at the Turbo Express. That was the only gaming system that, at the time, you could actually play the games that were on your console on this handheld, the actual Hue card games. Uh, hey, Sega Nomad tried to copy that, but I didn't have enough batteries to last a good 10-minute session on that one. True, it did, it did suck the batteries. But, I mean, that was really the first system. And then, as you mentioned, the, uh, the Nomad came out. But by the time the Nomad came out, I think that was right around the time they were talking about the 32X and the, um, and the Saturn was, was right around the corner as well. Uh, but, you know, even today we get the PSP. Well, yeah, that can do PS1 games, but we were already on PS2. And now even with the newest announcement at the E3, this um, 3DSi, which, of course, is <laughs> impossible to show anyone what this looks like, I guess, unless Nintendo would do something where you could put on 3D glasses or something uh, of this nature, I guess. I was a big fan of the DS when it got announced because I, th- I knew that was a revolutionary device. I mm-hmm. knew this was going to be the way everybody was going to want to play games for quite a while. Mm-hmm. The 3DS, though, I'm just looking at it and I'm going, you know... This one actually seems a little too gimmicky. Hmm. Wow. I don't know if it's if it's just me, but <laughs> I've actually never said that about any Nintendo system since the Virtual Boy. There you go. I mean, that definitely the first E3 and sticking with the more E3 sort of tie-in as only We Talk Games can do it. The Virtual Boy was announced at the first E3, and of course it was a huge flop, although I love seeing red. I gotta tell you, I don't mind. There's some titles in there that I really love, but even this 3DS, uh, 3DS is... I guess only as powerful as like the GameCube, which is still pretty powerful because the Wii is only a little bit above that. But when are we going to get the systems that actually play the games that we can play on our consoles? I guess never because we're really at a, a high level of, of quality home gaming consoles. Well, that and I think the developers have uh, gotten to a point now where they like charging us to, <laughs> to port everything to as many platforms as possible. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you, you cannot. You don't get a free ride. If you own one game for the PS3, you don't get a free copy of it for your PSP, no doubt about that. But the yeah, reason you, I- see, you see it all over the place in the App Store with you've got to pay for the iPhone version, and then if you want it for your iPad, it's got to pay yeah. again. The, the one that's killing me right now is Mirror's Edge. I've got my oh. iPad version. I paid $13 for it. And now they're about to release the iPhone version. Oh. I would love to be able to give that to my girlfriend to play. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. But 
we're going to have to buy it extra, it looks like, if we want to do that. I see, I see. Well, the reason I brought up the Turbo Express was because of, of a game that reminded me uh, that isn't really similar at all, but just as odd. You're playing poker with a role-playing game, and, of course, I'm thinking about tennis for the original TurboGrafx-16, which I love. Number one, it's a very good, very fun baby-headed tennis game, your little chibi characters, and it's a very fun one- or two-player tennis game. And I think it might have even supported four players. The most unique thing about it was that it had a role-playing game as well, where in the end you finally went up against the evil tennis king. So this was an amazing thing for me to go through this little um, chibi, big-headed role-playing game, and then you play tennis against people along the way. And, of course, it also reminds me just slightly a tinge. It, of course, brings to mind one of my favorite card-based games, and that was SNK versus Capcom Card Fighters for the Neo Geo handheld. Not the one for the DS, which wasn't so good, but the Capcom version and the SNK version that you could get for your Neo Geo handhelds. And that also brings to mind a little bit one of the best black and white wonder swan games which was the tekken card game which was also really neat not as good as snk versus capcom but still some very solid titles so if you're into handheld gaming and you have a lot of handheld systems like the turbo express although the role-playing games are a little hard to read on that but definitely if you have the neo geo handheld you have got to get a hold of snk versus capcom card fighters and if you have a wonder swan try to track down that tekken I swear, doing this podcast is so bad for my bank account. You've already got me on eBay searching for this tennis game now. <laughs> well, that's what Benny said. Uh, Benny, a longtime listener of the things out of the Wiggly Studios, he really loved our breakout bonus mini-sode for all of the uh, games we recommended for the iPod. So he was uh, busy downloading those as well. Yeah, it's definitely a platform where you can uh, spend way too much money really quickly. <sighs> indeed, indeed. Well, uh, real quick, uh, a free one out of the Namco camp. Gravity HD was free for a little while. I guess that's how I got my pool for free was sometimes they'll release their games for free for a limited time. So I picked up Isaac Newton's Gravity HD. This is a game I probably wouldn't have paid for because... I've played Incredible Machine a zillion times, although i got to tell you, this is a really nice version of that sort of game. And if you don't have any of these solve the puzzle with limited amounts of pieces and get your ball to roll from A to B, this is a good place to jump in if you've never done those type of games. And it looks very nice on the HD screen as well. And this is also available for your iPod. So uh, it was just nice to see something new out of Namco. I, I can't wait for like uh, Pac-Man CE or the other games I've talked about. What else you got, pal? I'm going to jump around on genres here a little bit, go with something a little less game-related, but still really, really cool. It's for the iPad, it's called Morphoiz, and this is definitely for the music nerds out there. Okay. Music nerds, we love our dream theater. I mean, we, we've <laughs> got to have our dream theater. My favorite musician in dream theater is actually Jordan Rudess. He's the pianist for the band. Oh, man, this guy is an awesome geek. <laughs> he got a hold of an iPad and he wrote up a program for it that uh, does piano, but it caters it specifically to an iPad experience. It's built for being on a touchscreen. It embraces every capability of the iPad. I'm going to try and hold this up to my mic, so I'm not going to be able to look at the screen at the same time. Mm. But just to give me an idea of some of the stuff it has, I mean... Mm. But, I mean, he's got... 
probably about 200 instruments in here from what I remember looking through it the first night. Very synthtastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. That That's actually one of the soloing synths that he uses with Dream Theater. Gotcha. But uh, every one of these keyboards is catered to the instrument. They don't have a full piano keyboard. They have a certain scale to each one. So okay. it's a lot easier to, to move around where you don't have to worry, oh, am I going to hit an off note if I slide just slightly to the side? It really gives you a lot of uh, a lot of freedom to work with. It's got tons of effects. I mean, just you, you can sit here and hold a chord with one hand and move it around, change the octave, and play a solo with your other hand on the same bar. Wow. I mean, it, it totally caters to the experience. Uh, I mean, it's it's a $10 music app, but I mean, I've seen some of the better ones going for 15 and 20 now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, if you're a musician, this is one I definitely recommend. I've been uh, playing with it a lot on the album I'm writing right now, and I've got about three songs that I'm using it in. Wow. That's awesome. Morphways. And again, totally embraced by uh, Jordan Rudess, and I definitely give it my recommendation as well. Right on, right on. Hey, well, speaking of uh, games coming out for the iPod, and then you have to buy them for the iPad and vice versa, Cannibal was updated to actually work on your iPad now, uh, natively. And I got to tell you that it made me sick to my stomach. I would much rather play the two-time size Cannibal, because I love Cannibal. Who doesn't love all the games that this Cannibal has spawned of the Run and Jump series, one button type of funness going on. And Can- Cannibal is honestly a must own iDevice game. Definitely. There's no way around that. But I got to tell you, this, this HD update just makes me sick to my stomach. It's just like that Suze's HD. I don't know if you saw this. Suze's? Yeah, I've Suze's. got Suze's. I have yeah. to uh, take ginger pills before I play it because I get so motion sick playing that game, but and, I love it. And for some reason, that's what happened to Cannibal. It makes me sort of motion sick. But going back to this run and one button jump, I have got to say that I tried after the recommendation by um, Ricardo again off of the We Talk Game social networking site, I had to try Robot Unicorn by Adult Swim. Oh, that one's fun. Now, this brings in sort of that run and jump feeling, but you also have a dash button, and it's only designed for the iPod or iPhone, but I really like it blown up on my iPad, and I actually can do it easier on my iPad. Now, you can't always tell where you're going to be going, what type of cliff might be coming up and things like that, as you can with Cannonball, because your character's a little bit larger. But here's a pro player tip. Wherever your little 10-point bonuses and 100-point bonuses show up on screen, it's a good bet that you're going to be able to run into some land right around wherever that little bonus point indicator flies out in front of you. And I can only imagine that Adult Swim was trying to make something hokey and funny, like many of their, their programs on Adult Swim. But then they inadvertently created something that is just really awesome to me and you're speaking about um 80s style synth pop music like this the theme song on there that loops is just something that i might say i don't like this but as it keeps looping and going and going and going and looping i really find myself falling more in love with that little theme song and the game is just really i mean it's a unicorn (laughs) a magical robot unicorn that's jumping 
on platforms and shooting rainbows out of its butt and everything like this and you have to dash through the giant crystalline stars and things like this as part of the skill of the game and you get three chances you get three lives per play to get as far as you can in this game and of course you can share this on facebook and things like this but i really have enjoyed this robot unicorn by adult swim how can you go wrong with a robot unicorn with rainbows out of its butt (laughs) yes Yes, I enjoyed it far more than I thought I was going to. I think there's actually a uh, a light version of that if you want to just try it for free, or you can even play it on their website. Great. Preview before you buy, and just like Cannabalt was. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. With Cannabalt.com, I've gotten so many friends addicted to that that don't even have iDevices. It's it's such a great title, and there's been a lot of spinoffs from it. My girlfriend is obsessed with her Cannabalting. I think her record is somewhere around 21,000. Wow, that's amazing. That's great. So she she's in the, in the top. What else exactly. you got, pal? Another one I've got. It's a brand new release. Um, the original is called uh, Hook Champ. It's a really, really uh, popular game for the uh, the iPhone originally. It's, it's in the theory of Cannibal a little bit. Not only are you running, you're shooting a little hook shot device and uh, swinging from it. And the whole goal of the game is to move to the level quickly. Well, with the new version, the Super Quick Hook, uh, they've added a lot more to it. You're trying to find hidden areas. You're collecting coins as you go through. They give you a lot of time to explore the level. You're not just racing with something chasing you. But at the same time, you've also got the developer's score to beat, which is his time through the level, how many coins he got. And it really leaves it open. They've also added some RPG elements, so uh, you can upgrade your weapons, upgrade your items, and just continually add on to things as you go. Hmm. It's definitely a pretty awesome casual title. Looking at the promo screens right now, and I see him swinging over a uh, a T-Rex skeleton that's lunging up to bite him with glowing green eyes. So also some awesome graphics on this version of it. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if it exactly falls in the line of Cannabalt, but it definitely is a game that we've talked about before. It's a game that I picked up for the Wii, WiiWare for Kyle Von Kubik, and Kyle Von Kubik and I have talked about it. Tomina Sana for the iPod by Konami is available for your iPod. Just another in the long line of Konami games I never realized came out for the iPod. Tomina Sana came out last year sometime, and it's full of all the great one-button Wii Wii control. So Talking about dinosaurs and things like that, you go f- flipping over uh, triceratops and knocking over ambulances and all the incredible wacky stuff that we touched upon before is now available on your iPad. And it controls perfectly, just like the one-button Wii Wii control on on your Wii. And it's another game where your character is continually running to the one side and you can press the jump button and make him jump high, high, and high, and he can become really tight. Tiny, you can become really large, and there's all different types of wacky Japanese goodness that goes on. And you also just hit the one button to perform actions like break dancing with other opponents, enemies, swinging around trees to, to drop kick people, and all other fantastic Tomonasana goodness. And there's also another game that came out by Konami that I want to recommend as well. It's called Police Rush. This is sort of like a combination of magic magnetic bee with bomb diffusing. You're in control of one to many police cars, and the 
criminals are all trying to set bombs around your city that you're in, in patrol of. And it's a very fast-paced maze-style game where you swipe the road that you want your police car to go down. It can go around corners, and only for a limited area will the police car go as you're swiping, and you're swiping multiple cars per, at the same time, trying to intersect and predict where the criminals' vehicles are going to go to. And there's even bosses at the end that drive big Humvees and things like this. But really neat little games by Konami for your iPod only. Those definitely sound pretty nifty. I was uh, actually adding those to my wish list as you were talking about them. <laughs> They're two solid titles. And, you know, the the nice thing about uh, both of them, I think that you can, like I said, they're both fast-paced, so you can only play them for a limited amount of time if that's all you have, or you can sit there and and play them for a couple minutes. Next one I got for you, I got another RPG. Actually getting some good RPGs on this thing now. Oh, good. This one's called Steam Pirates. So I know everybody out there, they're going nuts over their steampunk leather funny talking people and everybody loves their pirates well now now you get them in the game this one's very 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 campy it's basically a girl that was raised by lolcats, cats and she arrives on the island of pugs in new orleans louisiana and the cats have gone crazy and she's trying to stop them and then they kidnap all the pugs and now she's got to go save all the pugs and she finds this musician whose band left him because he's weird and he keeps wanting to have sex with all the lol animals and oh it's just a strange strange game wow but uh it's it's really fun to play it's good turn-based rpg old school goodness well animated great beautiful cartoony hand-drawn graphics uh it's definitely something you can waste your time on Uh, i'd say it's probably I put about two hours into it so far, and it says I'm about 20% complete, so I'd say it's about a 10-hour game. Oh, wow. Is but, anyone uh, saying there, don't tase me, bro, or anything like that? I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> okay. Mixing all the uh, the internet memes. For those that don't understand those, go to knowyourmeme.com. <laughs> I need to go there right now. I need an app uh, for that. We, we need to school you, man. Yes. I don't know. You're, you're in the epic fail land right now. <laughs> A great game for your iPad, and this is a this is the type of game I would make, is available from MoviletaP.com. Movile has made BoardBox, and this is a compilation of 15 board games that you can break out your iPad, set it on your card table, and play with your friends. Chess, checkers, reversi, tic-tac-toe, go, international draughts, whatever the heck that is, Zangqui. Westernized Zangqui, uh, if that's even how you say it, and five chess and two Go variants. So it's very nice. You can change the type of board you have. You can mail moves to your friends and things like this as well. And uh, it's just a very nice version of all these games. Now, you can find free versions of most of these games online. Sometimes they don't allow your king to move to be jumped by a, a non-king and checkers and sometimes the rules are all kind of broken. Here they're all perfectly done and all in the same one application and you can do marble chess tables. You could do all different types of um, really neat versions um, and preferences for these board games. Uh, so I highly recommend picking up board box for your iPad. That definitely sounds really nice. It's great. Alrighty, well, I got one 
really, really fun one that's another off-the-wall title. This one's an action platformer, though, so I'm moving away from my RPGs a little bit. This was first a book, then it was a parody book, and now it's a video game, which I have no problem with. Movies coming out down the line, I'm sure. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. (laughs) They made it a game, and uh, to use more of our great internet speak, this is epic, epic win. Uh, This has these nice Victorian-styled hand-drawn graphics, and it goes through the, the nice story of Pride and Prejudice, and then out of nowhere, zombies show up. And then the main character, the girl you're playing, her sensei from Japan starts talking to her about her ninja techniques, and she breaks out her katana and starts slashing the zombies. Wow. And uh, all the other girls join in, and then they go back to talking about Victorian stuff, and it fits perfectly somehow. Wow. It's really hard to explain how well this story fits together. Unless you've actually read the novel on this. Yeah, that's, I cannot even see bringing Pride and Prejudice to a video game at all. Sounds as good as like E.T. coming to video games, but telling me it's great. (laughs) Yeah, that this is outstanding. Okay. Uh, The the controls are so well done. You've got the virtual D-pad, which works beautifully. This is a Street Fighter D-pad and not, uh, I can't even think of one of the bad ones because I blocked them out, uh, (laughs) D-pad. And you touch anywhere on the screen to slash, and then if you swipe in a, any direction, it does a different special move. As you kill the zombie, sometimes they'll drop food, which I wouldn't. I would personally never eat food that a zombie drops, but some people would. Um, and sometimes they drop money. And at the end of the level, you can buy upgrades for more special attacks, more life, more defense, uh, new weapons, uh, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's got a level building system kind of built into it as well. I am blown away at the quality of this game. That's awesome. Great. I want to say it was 3 or $4, and it, it's worth every penny. Everyone should own this if they like action games. And this is only for the uh, the smaller devices. It doesn't have the asterisks by it. Right. It's, it doesn't scale up to the uh, the iPad very well. I've played it on it, but it's, it's a little clunky. The D-pad feels kind of large. Sure, sure. All right, very good. Well, the last one that I have is sort of in one of those areas of bad control, but I want to bring it up because I did mention about Pinball Remote and Pinball HD and things like this. And Pinball Remote, you control a pinball machine with your iPod while you play it on your computer, your Mac. Uh, Well, something came out that uses your iPod and your iPad, and it's by a company called MPad. And I really have to commend MPad for trying to make this happen. But the two games that are available for it so far, Plane and Snake, the control just is not there. But you actually download Plane and Snake for free on your iPad. You set your iPad up and you download the MPad controller on your iPod or your iPhone. And then via Bluetooth, you will use the iPod as a controller for your iPad. Plane is like Asteroids. Snake is, of course, like Snake. And um, you can do tilt control. You can do virtual D-pad. You could do uh, more of the analog-style brother-in-arms pad, that type of thing. But no matter how you play it, they don't play very well. A novel idea, if they can improve a little bit on the physics, I'll be totally sold on it. And I think it's great that companies are coming out with these, use this to control that, and these type of breakout interfaces for other devices. 
And see, this is the nice thing about gaming on this device is these games get updated constantly, mm-hmm. so, and the developers are, are easy to contact. Yep. So, I mean, you can get a hold of them and say, hey, this didn't work too well. Hey, have you thought about trying this? And sometimes they'll implement it. I mean, I've got whole game modes put into games that I like to play just because I talked to the developers and recommended it. That's great. Yeah, it, it is a very unique community, no doubt about that. Now, if I can just get enough of them to decide, hey, let's use the Eternals music in our games, that's <laughs> right. the next step I'm working toward. Sure, very good, very good. Hey, a little more money for music never hurts. I, yeah. I'm sure you know how that goes. Yeah, even for a link to the iTunes uh, you know, song, it, give it away for free and just have a link to your song in, in iTunes. Exactly. Anything else for us, pal? I got one more for you today, and this definitely takes the idea of gaming to a whole nother level. All right, I'm ready. Uh, This has been around since 2002, but it just this year came to the iPhone. It's something called geocaching. Some of our listeners may have heard of it. Some of them probably haven't. Uh, I hadn't heard of it until recently. It's basically an adult version of a very high-tech hide-and-seek. What you do is uh, you take something, you hide it somewhere, Uh, You put a little slip of paper in it, and you make it all waterproof. It's outdoors somewhere, usually. And you give someone the GPS coordinates, and their goal is to see if they can find it. The way the app works is just called geocaching, and that's uh, G-E-O-C-A-C-H-I-N-G. And it's geocaching.com is the official website for it. A lot of what this is is people will hide things, and they'll find creative ways to hide them places where you wouldn't think, situations where you wouldn't think to look. And it's it's just this amazing community built around this. The whole thing is just seeing if you can hide new ones, if you can find the ones that are around. Geocaching has now gotten to the point of where it's on all seven continents, hmm. uh, including Antarctica. There's over a million of them placed worldwide. There's some out in the ocean that you have to scuba dive to find. <laughs> Oh my. I mean, these, these things are literally everywhere. One of the ones I came across out here that I thought was really neat, the only clue I really got from it was the title of it was called An Orwellian Escapade. Hmm. And they said, uh, the business where it's located knows it's there. You're not going to get in trouble for, for loitering or looking creepy for trying to find it. <laughs> so my GPS takes me behind a building, and I'm like, okay, it's in this area. And I see a camera pointed at me, and a sign that says, smile, you're being videotaped. Oh, big brother. Exactly. So I go up to the sign, and I go to look behind it, and it falls off the wall. It had a fake nail on the top and a magnet on the bottom to hold it in place. (laughs) Wow. So behind the sign was a key. Now I have to figure out what this key goes to. Hmm. So I finally found a lockbox pinned up next to the uh, the power meter on the wall, and the key opened it, and there was the uh, the cache inside with uh, the log and a whole bunch of items. My goodness. So a whole other thing that gets in with this geocaching is something called travel bugs. And what those are, they're little dog tags with a unique identifier. You can buy them from the website for, I think, 3 or $4. And you take your thing, you attach it to an item, you can put a little card with it to say a little bit of information about it, but you give it a goal, like, uh, I want this one to go to all 50 states, and then you drop it off somewhere, and when (laughs) people find it, they'll pick it up and move it to another cache. 
Now, do you need the iPhone for this to work? You do need the iPhone because you need to have GPS capabilities. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It's it's uh it's not not quite the same. But Greg Maletic made that game where you sort of go around Disneyland or and Disney World, I believe. I think he has uh, versions for both of them now. And you try to go on little adventures, and then it gives you fireworks and things like this when you finally get there. So now, but this is implemented sort of with a treasure hunt type of thing. Right. The Disney one was actually based off geocaching. I see. And what this is, this is just, there's two apps for it. There's the uh, the introduction app, which will, it'll give you the basics and kind of let you help find your first couple caches. And that one's free. And if you really want to get into it, there's a $10 app. It's got pretty much any feature you would want for being able to do this. I've been doing it for about two weeks now. I've found, I think, 10 caches so far, but I haven't really been looking. I mean, I do about one a day. Tomorrow, I'm actually planning to go out and find seven. Hmm. So, I mean, within 10 miles of my apartment here in Oklahoma, right next to uh, the University of Oklahoma, it's like three miles up the road. So, within 10 miles of me, there's over a 1,000 caches. My goodness. Well, here's another so reason why it, I might have to get an iPhone. Keep you busy, man. Yeah. Geez, you know, I was really trying to avoid that. Actually, uh, picking up the iPhone 4 next week, one of the, the big things I'm excited about is now I'm going to have the Compass, mm. and uh, it's got a better antenna for better GPS reception. Wow. So I'm going to be able to find even more of these things at that point. Good crazy. Well, hey, Jaden, thank you so very much for joining us. Find out more about Jade at where? TheEternalMusic.com Right on, man. Hey, I uh, look forward to talking to you in the future. Take care. My pleasure. Bye. Jade Walker, good stuff, good stuff. All right, Keith, let's open it up for a special gaming guest for today's show, Franz Lonzinger. Sunnyvale, California! Franz Lonzinger, go! Welcome to We Talk Games. Hello. Franz, Franz, now you are from an era that had some real controversy, I think, in the corporate realm. I mean, now nowadays, all the action is really happening in the independents. Like, we've had people on from that game company. We've had independent lone wolf type of game developers. And now we see most of the action, I think, uh, happening more in the indie scene. Whereas, back in the day... When you were working with the bigger companies, I think there was a lot of controversy stewing there, especially in Tengen. Yeah, which was kind of a surprise to me. I basically uh, joined them because it's a bunch of people from Atari. So it was, it was a, sort of a sub-company of Atari, and I knew the people there because I had worked there back in the 80s. I didn't really know that there was any controversy going on until after the fact. <laughs> sure, sure. When did you start working at Atari? At Atari, I worked from 82 to 84. Okay. And I left, and I uh, joined Tengen in 89. From what I understand, Tengen was to handle consoles, while Atari focused more on the arcades and computers, or no? What, what was... What was... Uh, just arcades. Well, there, there was two Ataris, even at that time. So this was the uh, Atari that did coin-op games that I'm talking about. They just concentrated concentrated on doing original coin-op games, which is a business uh, on the, on its in the decline. It was uh, sort of not what it used to be, but it was still a good business. And so they were doing original coin-op games, and then they spun off Tengen to do basically Nintendo games when I joined, and then later the Genesis. Good. And that became more 
more viable. Sure, sure. And a, a lot of great titles. I Definitely in my library, no doubt about that. What was one of your first games for Atari? By Atari, I did Crystal Castle's coin-op back in 80, 82 to 83. I worked on it for about a year and a half. That's a really amazing title. It just came out, of course, in the Microsoft Game Room. And yeah, that was fun to see that as one of the you know the first games to come out on it, and to see it still out there after all these years is pretty amazing. A lot of games disappear after a couple of years, so to have something last uh, over 25 years, or almost 30 years, is pretty amazing. Yeah, and you know, it, it's still uh, a fan favorite. I think. I think there's a big play for that now. Uh, in my opinion. It's difficult to play without a rollerball, but um, yes, it was. It was definitely designed to be played on a with a well. We call it a trackball, and that was because uh, at that time, um, you know, centipede and missile commands were really big hits, and so it was still okay to do uh, trackball games. Basically, during the development, though, I was told that I really ought to do a joystick version instead because it became kind of clear that people had trouble with the control. They prefer the joystick, so mm. in general, the general public. I see, I see. Can you tell us a little bit about the early planning of uh, Crystal Castles? Sure, yeah. So I just started, and they told me to look uh, in the big book of game ideas and pick one. I see. These were, quote, approved game ideas that they had brainstormed earlier. And so that's the way to get the project started. And so I picked something called Toporoids, which was uh, a 3D kind of uh, vector game. It's a, com- a combination of asteroids and Tempest, if you will. I see. You know, the 3D vector like in Tempest, but with an asteroid ship flying around. So pretty different from what Crystal yeah. Castles turned out to be. But uh, that was okay. It, we didn't really need to stick too closely to the original idea. It was just a way to get started. And then uh, we just kind of uh, did it by the seat of our pants, so to speak. Every day we made changes and thought of new things and just uh, coded along. And now I was the only programmer. There's a team, though, where uh, the other people were basically hardware people and so who tried to get uh, you know the cabinet built and the work on the electronics and that sort of thing. It's still touted as one of the most gorgeous uh, cabinet artworks and, and cabinets. Uh, in, yes, in, in, yes, so. that's, that was pretty amazing. That was done toward the end of the project. You know, I see. That's typically how it was done. You, finish, you almost finish the game, then the cabinet work would start. And I don't know the name of the person who did that, that artwork. I wish I did. But that was, uh, yeah, it was a very good job. It really uh, cemented the the whole uh, experience, I believe. And uh, I, I even heard there were a few tabletop versions done, uh, cocktail um, tables. Yeah, and then it was. Uh, I had to do some special software to flip the screen because you know you because there'd be a player on each side of the table, and so you'd have to flip the screen depending on which player was playing. Right, right. And it was kind of difficult to play because the trackball was smaller, and you'd hit your hand uh, on it. I see. In this sort of cramped space, but. Yeah, there's a few out there. I bet they're collector's items. Sure. Now, you said that you began work on this in 1982, and that's interesting to me because this this was pretty unique in the fact that it was an isometric game, and I think yeah. the only other game out around that time was probably Zaxxon that was sort of that isometric view, and that was 1982 as well. So I wondered how those two fit into the timeline, if it was just two different companies coming at the same sort of... Well, it was a, sort of a natural idea, and it, I had based, my idea, my idea came from work I had done earlier at a 
previous uh, you know, defense company, of all things, oh. trying to do uh, 3D displays of data. And so it kind of... But it was basically an original idea. I didn't really base it on another game. Sure, sure. It kind of uh, it just kind of started with the with the backgrounds. Then we added the creatures uh, after after the backgrounds were done. Was Toporoids also an isometric view type of game? No, I wouldn't call it isometric. That was uh, at least the original sketches, as I recall them, were with a real three D view. Hmm. But. When we went away from vector to raster, then we really couldn't do the real 3D. It it wouldn't look good. It was better to do uh, isometric, have all the angles line up with the raster of of the display. Sure, sure. Where does Rampart fit into this uh, timeline? Rampart came later. That was, uh, well, it's an original arcade game from, uh, I think, 1990 or 1991, something like that. After I had left Tengen, I got the opportunity to do the NES version of Rampart, and then later the Super Nintendo version of Rampart. Okay. A conversion, so to speak. And this was done under contract with, uh, I think the original, uh, the NES version was through Jalico. They had an NES license after, this was after Tengen lost the ability to do NES games. Ah, I see. So they licensed out the, the intellectual property to Jalico, and then they hired uh, my new company called Bitmasters at the time oh, right. uh, to, to do that. So after I had left Tengen, I started a new company called Bitmasters with a friend of mine named Dave Oriva. And so we went for a few years doing basically Nintendo, Super Nintendo games under contract. I see. I think we talked about it either last episode or episode before, how much the Super Nintendo was a great version of Rampart. I mean, once again, there was a trackball oh. game, and uh, but that that was one of our top uh, conversions. And that and the Lynx, I think. I think the Lynx is a lot of fun as well, uh, with the Link cable, though. Yeah, yes. We were limited in, in those days. We really couldn't just to port the arcade versions uh, straight because it was just too difficult to pull off the graphics. You know, the, the arcade technology was way ahead of the home mm. technology in, in those days. You know, it's, these days, uh, it's uh, it's the opposite. Sure. But, so we got uh, the you know some new ideas and we did some really uh, original stuff in in this conversion. One tidbit about Rampart on the Super Nintendo is that it's really the first game to, to use 3D Studio Max oh. to pre-render the graphics. No, it wasn't Max. It was 3D stu- the original 3D Studio came out at that time, the very first 3D Studio. And we, we bought it toward the end of the project and used it to make some, can- make some rocks, basically. Ah, uh, I see. So we, we used it to build, build 3D models of the rocks, and then we'd, we'd uh, pre-render the images and then made, made stamps out of them. Wow. And the stamps were ended up in the game. So this is a technique that later on became very successful with Donkey Kong Country. I'll have to take another peek at that and uh, and check that out. It's not a big deal, really. I mean, the graphics aren't so spectacular of that rock. You know, it's just a rock. <laughs> sure. But, <laughs> but it's sort of, I don't know of anybody else to do it before us. You know? Right. I remember some Mode 7 happening in there. I remember some pixel dissolves occurring in there as well. Yes, we did a Mode 7 thing there, which was kind of bizarre, but yeah, it worked pretty well. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun game. We enjoyed working on it. And then we, we got to have the arcade game in our little office and played that a lot as well. Oh, it's 
great. Now, uh, I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but uh, oh, sure. we've had we've had uh, David Akers on as well. Uh, did you ever work oh, with yeah, him? Oh, yeah, I remember Dave. Of course, his big claim to fame was Clax. Oh, yeah, yeah. Clax uh, was Dave Oriva's uh, project at the same time when I did Miss Pac-Man, when we were working at Tengen. At Tengen, there was a period of about a few months where Dave did Clax and I did Miss Pac-Man. That was when the big Tetris controversy. Yes, that was very unfortunate because you know we were all excited about working on the NES and uh, and especially Ed Log, who uh, worked very hard on his version of of, uh, Tetris. It was a great version of Tetris, definitely. And uh, to find out that uh, you know we couldn't publish it and we basically lost that legal battle. That was uh, quite a disappointment. But we programmers, the designers, we weren't really involved with. uh, with the legal stuff, you know, that was all going on with the lawyers and the executives, and we re- really weren't a part of that. Sure, sure. So Tengen, basically, you had, I know that you had a lot of uh, arcade ports. Uh, were there any original titles that you worked on for Tengen? Uh, yeah, so in, in a manner of speaking. So when I finished Miss Pac-Man, I started on a new game. It didn't have a title. We didn't have a name yet. Uh, and I wanted to do a puzzle game, you know, in that, uh, and, and I, basically I got uh, the permission, which was quite a big deal, to do an original game, uh, because everybody else was working on ports of something. But then, uh, right in the middle of that project, I left and started Bitmasters okay. uh, with, with Dave, and we ended up uh, buying the rights to that original game, and it turned into Crazy Creatures. So the game Crazy Creatures, which was later published by American Video Entertainment, basically started as an in-house project at Tengen. I see, I see. And just so everyone knows, I mentioned this last episode, you know it's crazy because you spell it with a K. Yes. <laughs> it's got to be kind of crazy. Uh, now, how did you decide on the creatures that you're, you were going to use in Crazy Creatures? Oh, my. We were just rushing through that. We just kind of threw some things together. We didn't really think about it all that much. <laughs> we were just kind of placeholders. You know, we, we needed a theme. The game was, uh, you know, an abstract puzzle game, basically. And Definitely. The, the theme of it was kind of thrown in there toward the end of the project. I see. And Pink Elephants, whose idea was that? Yeah, that was uh, Pink Elephants. Who did that? I think that might have been Dave. I'm not sure, though. All right, all right. <laughs> so that's so, such a long time ago. Yeah. And what a unique puzzle game that was, too, just just throwing things up on the screen and then, and then moving them around in there. I think we saw that have an influence on, on later puzzle games, especially at a Nintendo camp. Yeah, well, you know, there was a, there's a mode, many years later, um, there's a game called Tetris Sphere, which I was a big fan of. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. Uh, I think that was on, uh, on the in, in Nintendo 64, if I'm not mistaken. And there was a mode in there that, where the gameplay was exactly the same as Crazy Features. It was pretty amazing. It was a very similar to, you know, in terms of the, the game mechanics. Sure, sure. The closest thing that I, I can remember. I'm not sure about Yoshi's Cookie or even like Wario's Woods. Uh, somehow they they give me that vibe a little bit, but I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know those games. So. Okay, okay, very good. Yeah, I mean maybe right. it's a stretch, but to me it looks like somebody studied some some uh, puzzle titles and and uh, there's an odd one in there, but yet once again sort of has a following. I think I'm amazed you even know the game because uh, you know it didn't really have a whole lot of sales and it's difficult to get it distributed because it was. Uh, not authorized by Nintendo kind of thing. 
So it's difficult to get the game into stores. Sure, sure. And that was another unique thing about Tengen. Uh, and we mentioned this about, of course, the 3DO company and uh, had Trip Hawkins on. And, uh, you know, they oh. had their yellow tabbed uh, cartridges. And Tengen had their own unique cartridges as well. Yeah, well, they, they tried to be independent of Nintendo. Um, you know, in in those days, they wanted to, they were used to you know being the big boy on the on the block with being Atari, and so they didn't really like uh, having to follow Nintendo's rules. So that that's kind of the story behind that, as far as I know. Now, Franz, you're also a video game enthusiast, or at least you were, and you were. Now, were you a competitive gamer, or did you just happen to have the high scores in two difficult games? Well, uh, Burger Time, I think, is just an incredibly difficult game. Well, uh, Burger Time, that's the, the only reason I have that record is because I got to play that game uh, as, while I was working at Atari, because it was being considered as uh, as a potential product for Atari coin-op. I see. And then they foolishly turned it down. <laughs> but uh, during that time, I got to play it. So when the game finally got released by Data East, I had a like, several months head start. So I got a, I, <laughs> it was pretty easy for me to get the get the world record on that but it didn't last very long I see and I can't get the 4 million or whatever ridiculous scores people are getting now <laughs> that, uh, that is a rough game yeah well it's a, it's a pattern it's a sort of a pattern uh, you know uh, cartoon type game and I see I, I kind of I liked that kind of game I was very competitive I, I played a lot of games I, I went to the arcade every day and uh, I played every game that came out, pretty much every arcade game. I, see. I was uh, good, but I was not, you know, the very top, very elite. Uh, I managed to get that world record on Sunday because I was very determined to get it. I invented some techniques to, that allowed me to do it. It wasn't all that difficult to do. And you know, nowadays, people can get any score they want on Sunday So it's a marathon game now. Right, yeah. Uh, a bladder buster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Six hours was uh, a pretty long time to <laughs> sure. play straight through. That's kind of what I did there. Did but, you? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of games. Uh, up to this day, I've, I've played all these years. Uh, I'm playing Mass Effect 2 right now. Okay. On insane difficulty. And uh, it's, that's, that's a very great game. I enjoy that very much. And I, I played uh, you know, Halo 3 and some really hardcore games that you know, I really I still enjoy them in my old age here. Is that your favorite system right now, the 360? or? I have all the systems. Uh, I would say um, I play more 360 than anything else. Uh, I do like the Mario games on the Wii. Uh, I play, I'm playing the Super Mario Galaxy 2 right now, which is that's a fantastic game. Um, so I, I'd say Wii and 360. I don't haven't played much on the PlayStation 3 just because just I don't have time to play all the games. You know? Sure, sure. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. If I didn't have this show, I, I don't think I would ever get in any gaming uh, at all. So, yeah, I, I completely understand. Uh, what do you think your favorite system of all time is, if you could come up with that? I haven't really thought about that. I would say the, the original Nintendo, not because it's you know it's such a fantastic system, but just because it rescued, it brought back the industry. Sure. Uh, at a time when everybody thought video games were pretty much uh, a fad and they were, you know, they weren't going to come back, and it's just they came out of nowhere with that system and brought it all back. And not only so, brought it back, but brought it back with a fever and and uh, yeah, and we haven't looked back. So, yeah, ever since then, everything's been fantastic. You know, the game industry has had its ups and downs, but it's been a very amazing thing. Um, there, there was never any uh, uh, crash like we had in the mid '80s. Mm. Uh, so, 
And we really have to thank Nintendo for that because if they hadn't done that, who knows how long it would have taken for sure. to come back. Sure. Or or what direction it would have went. Yeah. Uh, my my favorite systems are of course a Neo Geo. I like that one, but my number one favorite system is still the Turbo Graphics, the PC engine. Uh, did you ever make any ports for that? Uh I have the system, and I've played a few, uh, played a, you know, a few games on it, but I have not developed for it now. All right. What's, uh, what's going on now? I know that you started your own company. Yeah, so I have this little company called Action Entertainment, and uh, I'm selling uh, an older game called Gubble, which came out on the PC back in 96, and I'm still selling it after all these years. I did a remi- um, an upgrade, so to speak, a couple of years ago. And so that's a, like a small, independent, downloadable game. And I'm working on something brand new um, that I really can't talk about. Oh, okay. But, uh, and, um, that's what I'm doing this very minute. Ah. <laughs> these, these days. Very <laughs> Not good. Not while we're talking, of course. <laughs> yeah, that would uh, be rude. Yeah, yeah, that would be bad. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I'm trying to, trying to keep going. I, I love games, and I want to keep uh, making them. It's a, it's a great thing to do. Right on. Anything else that you want to talk about, or did I miss anything? Or is Wiggly your real name, or is that a? It's what I've been releasing stuff under since 1983, I guess. So yeah, that's oh, okay. that's what I pretty much go so by. It's, by yeah, it's your handle, so to speak. Yeah, it's my yeah. artistic uh, signature. It's, oh, uh, all yeah. So my my handle is FXL, my initials, which I would sign my high scores with in the arcade days. You know, those initials are still out there uh, when you look at the old uh, Crystal Castles. Oh, great. Uh, there's, you'll see FXL on the first level in the Xbox Live Arcade version. Oh, cool. They have. Great. Ever hide any secret codes or any wacky things like that? Yes, there's, a, there's a, some secret things. You know, I haven't tried them on this new version, so I don't know if they still work. There's one thing that I put into Crystal Castle because uh, it was basically I was told by management to put put in stuff like that so that we could prove in court in case somebody steals the version. Ah, but, uh, you know we did it. You know because uh, you know they wouldn't know what the secret was supposedly. So and, and if they claimed that they wrote it, then we could say we could do press these weird buttons and it would come up Atari games. Ah, uh, all over the screen. <laughs> okay, so there's something like that in, in Crystal Castles. Uh, it's all documented online if you want to see the details. Okay, awesome, great. Well, thank you very much, Franz, for joining us on We Talk Games. I, I look forward to finding out what you got coming next, and of course, uh, going back to Grubble and Grubble Two, uh, an extension, the the distant cousin of Crystal Castle Bear. I think. What, what was that bear's name? Uh, the original, yeah, uh, yeah the, the Bears, Bentley Bear. Oh, right, right, Bentley. That's right. And uh, there's a little story there, if, if I have a, sure. a minute here. Sure, definitely. Uh, so the original Bentley Bear was called Bear Braveheart. That, that was my name. That's the name I came up with for him. Oh, okay. This was before uh, the movie Braveheart. You know, that came um, many years later. Sure. Management decided that Braveheart was not politically correct. Uh, I guess there was a problem with the Atlanta Braves, and uh, the word brave was uh, offensive to uh, Native Americans. Sure, sure. So they told me, you know, we have to change the name. So they had a contest to come up with a new name, and so that was the winner of the contest, of the uh, Bentley Bear. Very good, very good. And uh, Grubble 2 Star is uh, a, a little fella on a hovering uh, pogo stick screwdriver. 
Well, it's sort of he's he's flying. Yeah, it's a gobbler. a space alien, and he's flying in a spaceship, and then the spaceship is on top of the screwdriver. I so see. Very bizarre. Yes. But uh, yeah, that's what we did. It's very <laughs> lovable. It's a great title as well. So. Oh, thank you. Well, it's it's been a pleasure talking to you, talking about some of my favorite titles, and uh, always great to hear more about Tangan Games as well. Uh, thanks for joining us on We Talk Games. Okay, thank you very much, Rigby. Bye now. Enjoyed it. All right, from across the country, let's go across the world. John E. Capcom. Open it up, Keith. Galway! I bet you, were, you thought I was going to say Innescarthy, but I said Galway. Well, that would be correct to say Galway, because that's where I live now. Fantastic! About time you got into the hippie culture. Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, I, I got the look down, you know. <laughs> right. Got to start thinking. You know, I, I wanted to move to, to Egypt, uh, but uh, Weck actually believes we're having none of it. They, they like me to be from Ireland. There is an Egypt in Pennsylvania as well, so you can, you know, there's always a place for you there. To be no longer an international panel of... Uh, <laughs> people though anymore you know be all too local yeah well we could fake it that's not a problem yeah i mean you get on skype you you never know what you're gonna get it's a mixed bag it just kind of works yes exactly all right john so what do you got for us uh this episode well uh i've been moving uh obviously i moved uh so i'm trying to fit in my video game and habits around my uh transit lifestyle at the moment so you're probably playing a lot of boxel Figure out how to put all your no, uh, stuff in the house. I, I playing a lot of Sunset Riders. Mm. All right, Konami. Yeah, I was. Re- I really. Yeah, I read a really good uh, little train journey. I was. Um, <laughs> I was sitting on a, on a. I was like a three-hour train journey cross country, and uh, I brought out the Mame, and I was playing some Mortal Kombat, some Sunset Riders, and of course I uh, deleted them as soon as the twenty-four hour law thing kicked in. <laughs> But, uh, is, is that how it is in Ireland? Okay. Uh, it's how it is on websites to tell you how to download things. But, um, you know you know that universal law that's totally above board? Sure, sure. If you want to buy the arcade cabinet, you want to make sure that you're going to enjoy this title, not be able to beat it right away. So you have 24 hours to uh, test it out in, your, in the privacy yeah. of your own home. And I like to think of time as relative. So the 24 hours that I am experiencing with these games is ongoing for the last five years but um it was awesome playing them i loved those games you know uh just before i deleted them of course but uh it was fun to play them in front of a kid who'd obviously never seen arcade games before oh he was dying to play his ds but his mother wouldn't let him so he was craning over uh looking at my uh laptop running these games he was like freaking out you know watching me play sunset riders and turtles and simpsons and all the great Konami stuff from back in the day. So you were playing this on the train on your laptop? Yeah. I had my crappy GameStop pad hooked into it and <laughs> into my laptop, and I was just playing away. And What was great, though, was Mortal Kombat hasn't lost its power to offend you know middle-class mothers, because this kid's mother was like, she, she was just so offended by the uh, you know the cartoon gore wow. that was going on on the screen. That's amazing. And, uh, and then she, yeah, she kind of started... Did prying a little bit, but asking her kid whether he thought the game might be sexist or whatever. So I just kind of turned the volume up a little bit more. But uh, I thought that was fine because there was a there was a family had they had like a door to explore DVD on for them. Mm. So I had Mortal Kombat on for me. 
Yeah, I've been noticing this a lot uh, at our at our uh, restaurant that we frequent, my wife and I. Uh, that people are just watching DVDs as loud as can be. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't usually do it now, but I made a special case. Like, you know. <laughs> But, uh, it's fun. Like uh, it's a lot of fun to play like WWF WrestleFest and you know all those classic games. And actually, I'm really looking forward to that new WWE All Stars game that uh, was at the E3. Yeah, I saw this uh, THQ, this WWE All Stars, and it looks really cool. In fact, I knew it was a good game and a game for me when I went on the message board that was announcing this title, and the kids were writing, "Looks dumb." I like the WWE, but why did they go with such a cartoony look? Yeah. Those kids are idiots. It looks amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a dream, like a couple of dream picks, you know. I'd like to see uh, Dusty Rhodes in there. <laughs> so I can, I can get like the hyper bionic elbow. I'm old enough, you know, to uh, to hate who the uh, the little kids like, you know, like the, the Ray Mystery and the John Cena. I don't like that John Cena, but when I was watching the guy play as John Cena, (laughs) I wanted to join that chain gang of his because he looked amazing doing those freaky moves that he can't do in real life. If that's the way they're going, you know, we might get to see a shake rattle and roll that spins so much it produces a hurricane. It does emulate a lot of the moves from that horrible WrestleMania game uh, that Midway put out that was sort of with the motion capture that was sort of supposed to be like Mortal Kombat or something. And, you know, hearts would fly out of your uh, fists and, and bats would come out of The Undertaker and things like that. But because they put this more animated, more street fighter-y type of veneer on it, it's perfectly acceptable and looks like a blast. Yeah, but Wiggly, you've got to give credit to The Undertaker. And uh, boom shot like it. But uh, <laughs> go back to that game. But it looked fun. It looks really fun. A lot of great games come out this year, but that one I had to touch on because it really reminded me of WrestleFest, Superstars, and all that old good stuff. You mm-hmm. know? Sure, definitely. Uh, yeah, I was just playing that not too long ago as well. I actually headed back home, and I, I broke out the, the 3D Arkham Asylum. I beat it for the first time, beat the game. Mm. Uh, and then I started playing it in 3D, and I talked a little bit about it last month. Mm-hmm. I actually played through an action sequence, you know, using the fighting techniques and whatever. Mm-hmm. I thought it would kind of um, blur too much, and there wouldn't be much definition to the fighters and all that, but it, it looked really good. Yeah, um, I got to tell you, I don't know how it is overseas, but right now, 3D television is just exploding in the states and it's sort of out of nowhere i mean there wasn't a lot of print ads about it there wasn't a lot of coming soon 3d television it's just all of a sudden here's a 3d television with blu-rays already of all these movies that you can get in 3d yeah it's it's a kind of a i'm kind of worried a little bit that it might just be a fad and that they're going to flood the market with all this 3d stuff because they're not really given the time to settle you know yeah it was just like Here's Avatar, you know. <laughs> now everybody wants 3D, you know, and everyone wants to be a cast. And it's just coming too fast, you know. I mean, now you have games coming out. I mean, like Batman Arkham Asylum, that was like, a, it's a, the selling point isn't the 3D, you know. Mm-hmm, sure. But I hope it doesn't mess up because 3D stuff is certainly interesting. Yeah. But I just wouldn't like it to be hot-shotted, you know, because it's just, it'd be a shame. 
I'm worried about it for different reasons because I'm worried about it like, hey, it wasn't too long ago. I finally got just a 16 by 9 television. Now it's 3D. What's going on here? I don't want to have to wear stupid glasses all the time as well, you know? Sure. Unless if I can, if I don't have to wear the glasses and the TV is cheap, mm-hmm. then maybe. Right. But I think I can stomach playing my games in regular vision, you know? If they bring out, like, I don't know, Vincent Price in the Wax Museum, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, if they get all those William Castle movies and bring them out with all the, you know, the spooky vision, then, then maybe I'll be a bit more interested. Right. But... Well, we shall see. And I guess Ralph Cramden can finally buy a television because that's the way he's waiting for. 3D television. Oh, here it is. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> the Honeymooners. Oh, yes, yes. I got one. Okay. But, uh, uh, I was playing Conan on the Xbox. <laughs> okay, yeah, we've talked about this plenty have of times. No, but uh, Eric Alex has talked about it and mentioned <laughs> uh, a few things about it. I like the Conan. I don't. I haven't read any of the stories, you know, the Robert E. Howard stories. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I love the uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. You know, <laughs> I, I love both of them actually. Okay. But uh, you can not love the second one where Andre the Giant plays a big giant scab monster. Sure. You know, I like those movies. I like. Uh, I don't know, I just like that whole aesthetic. I'm, I'm not crazy into the whole sword and sorcery thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I, don't know. I, I just not for me. But I dig the Conan world. This game definitely allows you to play in that world. You know, the hyper male fantasy where you're running around and there's nothing but naked chicks and, you know, cutting guys in half and whatever else. And It's got a good voice cast, even though it is a bit kind of wooden the way they implement the voice. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. But, um... I don't know, if you like the Conan movies and you like the Conan character, it's, you, you can't really go wrong. The only problem is you're not fighting James Earl Jones as a giant snake. <laughs> you know, but other than that, you know, you can do worse. I mean, it is God of War as well. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. God of War with the Conan character in there, like, you know. Right. But uh, you could do worse. I mean, I paid uh, eight euros for it, so I'm getting my eight euros out of it. Yeah, I'm sure that right now it's probably around three bucks on Amazon or something like that. And for the PC, I think they're probably, I think they pay you to take it. So it might be worth uh, that price. If you don't like Conan, it, I wouldn't recommend it. But otherwise, feel free, you know? Right. So that, uh, gi- that gives two We Talk Games correspondents the thumbs down and one a sideways thumb. Yeah. The last game we played. <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who sees it this way, okay? But it's like what the CDI and the 3DO always dreamed of being, and that would be Bioshock. To me, it seems like Bioshock is exactly what those systems were reaching for back in the day, you know? I see. So it just seems like I should be playing it with a crappy TV remote or something, you know? I see. I'm not a shooter guy, you know, I'm not what I don't... Basically, I like my side-scrolling platformers. I'll go back to those. I'm not... I'm a very simple guy when it comes to video games. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a very... Obviously, a very complicated... Well, not complicated, but deep experience. And, I mean, the graphics are still stunning looking to me. And Sure. It's a compelling world. There's no doubt about that. And, and the fact that it feels like I'm playing, like, a, a 3DO title, to me, anyway, I don't know. It is very appealing. You mean, like, I mean, a, maybe... I just wish I was good at it. It's like Vault. Maybe like a Space Hulk, I guess, for a 3DO. Yeah, pretty much. And I on know. a CDI, I would think maybe Burn Cycle. 
even though that wasn't really first person or anything like that. There, it moves the story along. You feel like, uh, well, Burn Cycle was more of a Blade Runner type of feel, and Space Hulk is more like eh, first person Space Marine type of weird sci-fi type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's obviously got that kind of, well, you wouldn't say steampunk, but that kind of, like, weird 60s nuclear age kind of aesthetic to it, I guess. Sure, yeah, definitely. But uh, I wasn't sure how I felt about everybody. I guess you're supposed to jump on one side. Like, they're trying to paint that uh, big guy, the Ryan guy, as a bad dude, but, but he seems to, like, support science and art, so I'd probably vote for him. <laughs> I but, see, uh, right. It's a very cool kind of experience, but it's just another game that I'm not very good at. It's like the, the Fallout 3. Mm. Plainly and obviously great game. I am terrible at it. Gotcha. You know? Sure, sure. I know exactly what you mean. You know the bit where it's like, you can blow up the town? Mm-hmm. I'd probably blow myself up by accident. <laughs> and I like being told what to do when it comes to video games. I'm kind of lame like that, you know? Right, gotcha. And I feel bad about killing people because I'm not that guy, I guess. But it's, <laughs> hey, it's I thought like, that you liked the Punisher for the arcade. What's going on here? I do, but you're the Punisher in that. and You're Frank Castle. You're not you. True, you know? true. If you make me me, I'm just going to want to talk to everybody. Who, you know? who? Oh, player two was Nick Fury. That's right. What yeah. an odd team up. Uh, Nick Fury and the Punisher. I don't see that. <laughs> There wasn't a lot about that game that made sense, you know? No. But, uh, the uh, continue screen was the best one ever, though, with the guy uh, doing the defibrillator on you. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. That was totally awesome. I do like the... I, I like a good massacre, you know? But I don't like being me doing the massacre. Maybe I'm just too sensitive. I understand. Yeah, I got you. All right, pal. Well, hey, stick around for the council. I'm sure that's coming up sometime soon. Okay. Okay. Hang on the line. Bye. Hey, bye. Alright, what's next, Keith? Oh, I hear the music, never mind. Yeah, let's open up for the Council of Video Game Millionaires. Alright, welcome to Council of Video Game Millionaires. Now, on the line, we already have Kyle Von Kubik. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. John E. Capcom from, uh, Sir. we mentioned his new location in Ireland. And of course, Rachel once again joins us. Rachel, welcome to the We Talk Games Council of Video, Ga- Video Game Millionaires. Hello. Wait, what? <laughs> Rachel is uh, is disguising herself as uh, Eric Alex on this particular council. Eric, Eric Rachel, Eric Alex is online for color commentary. We we coerced him to come back for the council because he had twisted to be my there. arm. Yes. Uh, so, uh oh, I dropped my pen. No, nope, no problem. I have a spare pen here, just for such emergencies. This is so I write down notes on what the council says so I can go out and buy the games the council recommends and I recommend. <laughs> All right. Uh, from the the pre-screening, it sounds like Kyle Von Kubik has been listening to some of the recent breakout bonus-level minisodes, and he's hooked himself up with the successor to the Game Park 32. Uh, yes, I listened to the show that I was on, <laughs> and uh, I decided that I would buy the beefier of the two 
emulation devices that our own 2PyOR was discussing. Right, uh, and I always found it so fascinating that the successor to the GP32 was like called the GP3 or something. You know, it's the, the GP3 Wiz or something. Yeah, it's I used called. to get confused with that. I thought it was called the Gampark 32X because there's an X involved in there somewhere, I think. R- Look, right. Can you plug it into the top of a Genesis? What? Or, no, that's a 32X. <laughs> yeah, you shove your 32X on top of a portable gaming system. Excellent. And then it catches on fire. I'm sure Ben Heckendorn <laughs> made something like that. Well, you know, they say the 32X doesn't work with the CDX, the Sega CDX. It works. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's just that it's, you know, so it unbalanced. Like and plastic tumor is growing out of your Sega? <laughs> it's just very unbalanced and, and dangerous and sends <laughs> sparks out the top. A spinning CD flies out of the tray, cuts right across your throat. But, I mean, how else are you going to play Scotty Pippen's Slam City if you don't have the 32X hooked up to your Sega CD X, 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 and X? All right, Council. Well, today's Council, we're going to talk about the E3, but uh, as per the theme of the entire show today, we're hoping to put a... We talk games spin on it so that we actually mention CDI games when we talk about the 2010 E3 event. Actually, I don't really have any CDI games lined up. At least I don't think so. But, you know, you never know. It might happen. Well, is, is there another Bioshock coming out? That's a CDI game, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, I think that I'll open it up because perhaps I have the most We Talk Games-like things to mention. But feel free to jump in because I, I'm hoping that's what's going to happen. I don't know if I should start with the good or the bad or the most recent or the whatnot, but I think a good place to jump in, a good middle ground, is that I'm basically going to bring up franchises that we haven't seen for a while, and some of them we haven't seen for 25 years. Another great one, 1988 and things like this. But one of the more recent games that we haven't seen for a little while is, of course, Kirby. Nintendo's Kirby, and we saw the announcement of Kirby Epic Yarn, the Kirby Sackboy edition, the Kirby Cheap Sackboy with no building capabilities, but yet it still looks good. But all the new things that Sackboy can do, Kirby can also do, swing around like Spider-Man, that type of thing. And uh, Kirby is only an outline made up of yarn, he can swing around like Spider-Man, and he interacts with cloth backgrounds and cloth made bosses so he's no longer a marshmallow he is not a marshmallow he's not a vacuum cleaner he is huh. a spider-man does he suck anymore uh it might suck uh yeah. i don't know i think it kind of sucks that he's not the vacuum cleaner thing anymore but you know what if you're gonna turn something into sack boy why not kirby yeah but he's not doing anything his only personality trait is that he eats stuff and turns into it it looks like he can still absorb things, um, as much sense as that makes for yarn. But I, I, I did see certain things he turns into, like a car. You know what he's more like, I think? Remember when Captain Kangaroo would interact with those string puppet things? Who could forget? <laughs> and and those string puppet things would turn into different types of things. That's what it reminds me of. Like when he turns into a car, he has little wheels that are like a car. Or maybe yeah. like a uh, air zonk when he get, turns into the baseball man. 
except made out of an out- yarn outline. Okay, I think we're spending far too much time of, on the most non-exciting announcement, I think, because it should have just been a new character. I mean, it, it really doesn't draw on anything that Kirby's ever done. Epic mystified. Yawn. <laughs> Epic yawn. That's great. Yes. Why is he made good. out of yarn? Is there a plot-related <laughs> explanation for that? Maybe he ate some yarn. I don't know, you know. <laughs> and then he turned into that and he can't turn back out of it. Maybe he needs to get hit on the head with a brick again and then he remembers he's not really yarn. It's a cool uh, art style, but I don't know. And Plot's never been Nintendo's strong suit. No. Yeah. And and the other really non big exciting thing for me is the return of another franchise that I thought would have died with the death of the company, but it looks later. Like, which which one? Pit Fighter, isn't it? Pit Fighter, <laughs> yes, it is. It's uh, actually Warner Brothers' continuation of the new Mortal Kombat, which is incredibly confusingly named Mortal Kombat. Uh, which is, there's another game that's like that as well. Does it uh, have an underline underneath it? Nothing. Some sort is of distinguishing character, characteristic about yeah. the title? Mortal Kombat. No uh, exclamation point? It oh, is, yeah, the K instead of the C, right? Oh, wait, yeah. they have. <laughs> it is oh, the King yeah. of Fighters edition as well. Everything that Boone uh, spoke about is just like, hey, we lifted this from King of Fighters. You could tag team. Or if you want to call it the Marvel versus Capcom, I guess you could call it the Mortal Kombat versus Mortal Kombat edition. <laughs> uh, so those are two franchises I'm not incredibly uh, crazy about, but it does look like they're trying to go deeper with the Mortal Kombat. Boone stated that there are no duplicate character animations but instead of being the motion capture that we've all grown accustomed to this is all full cg generated characters that are motion captured then Uh, but let's talk about games that really excited me and i will not talk about the games that ticked me off uh, until the end the 25th anniversary of russian attack we'll see a release of russian attack expatriate Konami's franchise return. Now, I cannot tell you how many quarters I put into the original Russian Attack, and I cannot tell you how many hundreds of times I played it before I realized there was a second level. <laughs> I mean, I would, get, was hard. I would get murdered by this, but yet still put in my quarters. I just... I don't know why I loved it. And, you know, it's probably because I kept going like back and forth, back and forth. And then when I would get to the second level and dogs were involved and fences and things like this, then I, I really would die. But uh, this looks fantastic. It looks like a 2.3D Russian attack. But in the Trials HD track backgrounds, I, I don't know if you saw this, it also sort of gives me the little, a little bit of Elevator Action Returns ambience as well. But it looks great. It's going to come out for a 360 and PS3. And it looks very controllable. And I'm glad to see an update on this game, even if it doesn't really draw on the original Russian attack feel. And John and I talked about this before. It looks like sort of an updated version of elevator action returns which is something that we we both wanted yes indeed so you know actually an interesting story about russian attack it was only ever called that in america oh over here was, over here was called green beret the reason they called it russian attack is because they wanted it to sound like russian attack so that you're killing communists sure sure right right of course yeah it was a play on the words it's rush apostrophe n attack and it's like gun dot smoke yes <laughs> Gun dot smoke. Yeah, you know the gun smoke uh, game Capcom made. And they just put like a a period in there ah. to make it like not gun smoke. <laughs> 
Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Any other comments on Russian Attack? Old experiences with that arcade title? I'm surprised they would remake that. You know, I guess it's just a matter of what old 8-bit franchises can we bring back and make it still popular with the retro crowd and has an appeal to the new folks as well. Solid game, but I mean, there was no real innovation to it. You could jump up and down on the levels and shoot. Yeah, and and stab and uh, bayonet. I think. Yeah. Yeah, not a lot. The thing about E3 this year, though, the per, like that seems to be obvious is that everyone wants a platformer. You uh-huh. know. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, like Castlevania's good to go and stuff, but you know, might as well. I didn't want to bring up that franchise with the, the new 3D version. It looks same as the old 3D versions. And, I, I, you know, as much as I love Konami and I truly love Castlevania as my favorite series, I just hope that that game just fails in the toilet and they finally realize that they need to bring the DS, the Game Boy Advance versions to the newer HD consoles. Well, they're kind of doing that with uh, Harmony of Despair. I didn't see that one. Oh, you need to see it, man. It's like yeah. multiplayer, massive uh, screen version of like a 2D Castlevania, except you see the entire um, castle before you, and your guy is like an inch tall at the bottom of the screen. Wow. You can see everything playing out before it. Okay, very cool. Yeah, please buy it on XBLA, because Konami's already said that if it doesn't sell well, it's not coming to PSN. Ooh, okay, yeah, so I'll have to buy that twice. Buy it. Yeah, very good, very good. Let's also talk about one more before I get into the games that just ticked me off a little. I'm very thrilled to see them come back, but I'm just a little ticked off about them. The, the big uh, return that I told um, Kyle and John to please play the 1989 version of this franchise... Fist of the North Star, I put Epic Yarn in back of it, which is not true. <laughs> Fist of the North Star, Ken's Rage, finally a U.S. sequel to Last Battle for the Genesis. The Genesis had Last Battle, which was sort of like an arcade game for the time, but although it was never released on the arcade. And uh, this was a game where if you owned the Genesis initially and you were buying every game that came out, like Zoom, you know, and those horrible titles, DJ Boy, and oh, like I love DJ Boy. <laughs> yes, uh, boy, did you ever see the Japanese version of DJ Boy? No, um, but I did play the American version. Yeah, not not many, politically many not politically correct in, in oh, one no. of the first bosses. Now, but last battle. So, guys, uh, what did you think of this epic side-scrolling punch and kick title? Well, I got to thank you for turning me on to it because it was such a delight playing through it. <laughs> John, I think you have a, a an interesting um, well. I observation mean, of this as game. I said, I I played it today for the first and last time. <laughs> it will be and, uh, it will be your last you know, battle. Yeah, I had my last battle with it. One of the battles was getting it to run because uh, <laughs> you know I had to get a what do we say import copy of it, and I kept on screwing up my uh, Mega Drive. I see. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, one thing I'm interested though, if they are remaking um, this game or making a new Fisted North Star game, I'm hoping that they get the guy who played Kenshiro in the live action version. Of the ah, because I love the fact that he was a Japanese character, apparently big white Australian guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did he have purple hair in the in the movie? I don't think he did. Okay, but uh, he did have the um, the great plow or whatever it was. On his like 
muscle boobs. Okay. <laughs> and did he rip his shirt off during? Oh, the- a lot. Okay. And <laughs> now, if you don't know what Fist of the, if you don't know what Fist of the North Star is, it's it's based on a manga and an anime of the same name. And uh, like like I mentioned, this came out as Last Battle in the states, at least for the Genesis. And back then, it was an amazing. Uh, <laughs> like half, I don't know why they ever re- release this unless to just try to i don't even know if final fight was out i think it was but this it was, is no final fight no it is no final <laughs> fight. any stretch of the imagination <laughs> yeah it's well, very I do or anything either i mean it's no. like it's not river city ransom no it, it's he's, not russian attack no he's, no it's, it's not rolling thunder but but it is almost like russian attack in the fact that you could jump up one level and down level in certain levels but it's uh, like most games in the fact that it is a game yes <laughs> And you you walk from the left to the right. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, one of the funniest things is seeing this giant muscle bound uh, lead character do his high flory dory rockets high kicks, where his knee is almost going backwards, uh, and that's his normal kick. Yeah, it's pretty uh, feminine. It's it it's, really am- it's amazingly gymnastic, and yes. then of course he he rips his shirt off in a very homoerotic way, uh, and it's just gorgeous with the the amazing nipples as well, as John pointed out. Now this remake is of course going to be an, in a three D type of sequel, but it, it looks good to me. It looks like a um, sort of like Sword of the Berserk. Guts and Rage. Speaking of an end game, and Guts and Rage. I don't know if you remember that for the Dreamcast. That was kind of a really bizarre title. Now it's the Fist of the North Star isn't going to be as bizarre as, as this. It's not going to start out and you pick a, a screaming turnip out of the ground, but it sort yeah. of reminds me as that type of feel, the way that you walk around, except incredibly polished. So, uh, and you know, Fist of the North Star also came out for the Amiga and the C sixty four, and I think. Even the very obscure and very hard-to-find uh, Sega Mark III. I hear about the Mark III every now and then, but I, I never owned one. It's a white Master System, isn't it, with like big blue kind of metallic-looking Sega letters on Right, and I think it was, it was European only, so... Um, and Japan. Oh, was it? Oh, right, right, gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, any, any final thoughts on Last Battle? <laughs> The first boss you go up to, I thought I was playing a ROM hack that Stinky got into, because this dude, this little blue blobish dude, looks almost identical to Stinky the Game Master. And, you know, the bosses are the only thing... that, that This is what I mean about skimping on it. Every Ham and Ager enemy that you go against, yeah. as soon as you kick them, they just fly off the screen. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, like, like, ouch! There's no anything. They're moving forward, that's their only animation, and then they just fly off of yeah. the, to the left they or the right of the screen. to the upper yeah. right-hand corner. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's truly a... a uh, <laughs> I think one guy made it, yeah. 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 But I knew everyone owned it that I knew that had an original Genesis. I never played that one. Yeah, well, now's your chance. And now I heard that it was, I heard it was released on some virtual consoles. So uh, if you live in certain regions of the the globe, you may be able to uh, pay $6 for this. (laughs) Prisons, probably. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Very good. And some gay bars, I guess. We'd <laughs> um, Not altered discotheques. Yeah, that, and that's another one. You know, that's another one where... You, that's a gay bar game. Oh, sure, sure, definitely, definitely. If there was a third transformation where you donned leather, that would be, uh, <laughs> that would be the icing on the cake there. Assless chaps. <laughs> there you go. Um, let's talk about two games that I'm very happy to see come back, but I'm very upset the way that these titles are being presented, although I probably will get both. Now, we've seen this franchise come back on the PC especially and on the original Xbox and the 2.0, but Tron is making its return. I have to say that Batman, God of War, I hate you, although you're far from the first games to grace us with the combo attacks and 3D combo attacks, you have ruined the third-person beat-em-ups for me because, as I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned this online with you, Kyle, or offline, I tried the new Iron Man. Uh, I I think Sega made it for the console. No, you definitely did not mention this because I would have heckled you off the phone (laughs) for even picking up that game. Well, I tried it, and it has the full... Like, when you do his combo attacks with Iron Man, Man. Sure. He does the full master of kung fu Iron Man moves. He does like a spin <laughs> kick, you know, okay. Iron Man. Uh, and so these, the God of War is all over this. When Tron does his disc attacks, he does like the God of War gauntlet attacks. And it was even stated by the creators of Tron that he is using capoeira, you know. Just like he did in the movies. He was, I remember that. He was doing his little fight dance with the master cylinder. There was a studio was right outside the arcade. Don't you remember? That was like off to the side of the movie. Does he do the beast roll and then electrify himself? Uh, he probably does. I mean, it's just... You know, if you're going to do this, give me Mighty Final Fight on the NES Virtual Console. I'm going to have a lot more fun doing those combo moves than I am with these. It it just breaks my heart to see this capoeira. Now, I don't think I'm going to get Tron because I think that will bother me too much. But one game that I probably will get is the return of a 1988 arcade game that also was released in, with sequels on the Genesis and, of course, on the FM Towns, it was released in an almost perfect arcade translation of it. And a big release for the TG-16. And I always bring up the fact that in America, they take out all the best parts. and uh, But don't take out the parts in the game where you have to wait for an animation that is no longer there to take place. You hear all the music. You, you uh, hear the sound effects going on. But there's nothing happening on screen. This is a return of Splatterhouse. And this is the also a game that goes by the title Splatterhouse. Nothing else. No subtitle. (laughs) No subtitle. The only problem I have with it is uh, why is that a John Cena fella, the Splatterhouse guy now? Yeah, he, he, you know, he, of course, puts on the modified Genesis Splatterhouse 3 mask where it looks more like a demon. He does power up into a very uh, Steve Rogers, Captain America, muscle-bound, and, you know, he turns into Hulk or John Cena, as you mentioned. But it is more of those combo systems. Yeah, but, I mean, as long as your enemies splat off the walls, what do you, you know? (laughs) But he looks, it looks exactly like Batman with Splatterhouse Guy 
in the Batman role. I mean, it looks exactly, they lifted it exactly from Batman. Same type of uh, combo sequences and stuff like that as Batman, except that instead of a, a Batarang, he has, you know, a 2x4 and a shotgun. Not to be too cynical, but I think most of these games are just, you know, doing the cash-in with nostalgia, mm-hmm. you know, because everyone's seeing what Capcom is doing with the Mega Man series. Or, um, you know, Rocket Knight is a good example of this as well. Sure. And they're like, hey, we got a bunch of dusty franchises, too. <laughs> so let's crank them out. And the, I guess, archetype for these type of games, especially the beat-em-ups, is let's just do God of War. Exactly. But i got to tell you, I know I'm going to buy Splatterhouse. Namco's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great classic uh, title. I'm glad to see this iteration. I've purchased all the previous ones. So I, I I'm a big fan of collecting this this title, and I think it's a great character. Even though, of course, it's a big giant ripoff of uh, Jason. Yeah. Um, but uh, right, Jason is the one with the hockey mask, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. Right. Very good. Very good. So you know, he's heroic. He is heroic. <laughs> <laughs> he is heroic. And he's just trying to save his girlfriend. He is. Yeah. And you know, as long as I go in there and I'm I'm able to fight a flying pitcher frame, I'm going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's really all I saw of the return of sorely missed franchises. So let's start with you, John. What uh, E3 memories were reignited? What do you, what do you want to talk about that happened at E3? And of course, I don't want to go too far into these games. I don't mean to crap all over them or, or be happy about them until we actually play them. But, I uh, mean, just, just from seeing what we've seen, what, what can we speak about here? Well, uh, as I said, the uh, the Castlevania harmony of despair really looks like something i'm going to be getting you know day release you know uh it's ds graphics but like not blown up just kind of um put in perspective i guess you could say because it's like i always liked the idea of a giant castle existing around you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. castlevania series i know you can see what's going on in the rooms when you're not there and that's cool and the boss can attack you from wherever he is like you know mm. and it's a kind of a time attack thing i think it's a bit like it's a it's a co-op thing as well where you can play like with two or three people and oh, neat. you know so you're playing like a uh, two people in one room or you can both of you can be at either side of a giant castle and try and get to the boss first to kill him oh. and so you can keep for scores or candles or whatever <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right you know hearts, but, uh, it, hearts yeah, that don't heart. replenish your heart you know yeah. your health <laughs> i love that pieces of meat in the wall yeah. all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. but uh I mean, you know yeah. it's uh it's actually that was one of the things you know and um it was in the last one order of ecclesia at the beginning of the game you hit a wall and a bit of meat falls out of it and when it go you go to your item screen it just says it's a piece of rotten meat and it would do you very much damage if you were to eat you know <laughs> any piece of meat you found in the wall you yeah. know why are you eating mo- meat that falls out of a wall <laughs> and if you do eat it it hurts you i see so that's, that's pretty cool that's hilarious but uh, marvel versus capcom 3 is the game that sure. really grabbed me like you know big fan of comic books obviously i like what capcom do and I just watched all the gameplay footage where they just had like five or six characters doing combos on one another. Mm-hmm. It looks amazing. I already know I'm going to be pre-ordering it and buying whatever gimmick that comes with it. And it just, you know, it looks really cool. Did I hear right that Dreamcast is coming to the Wii Virtual Console? N- no, you heard wrong. Dreamcast oh. is coming to PSN. Oh, Xbox. I thought it was Xbox. Yeah. How about Saturn? No, nothing. 
I don't know about Saturn. Okay, so I Saturn did hear wrong. Saturn is a difficult That's amulet, right. as far as I know, because yeah. it's Such odd innards. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I believe Dreamcast is coming to the XBLA as well as PSN. It's not coming to the Wii. Because John mentioned this Castlevania, it really reminded me of the 10-player Bomberman, the S-Bomberman, which I am just dying to be able to play you know, on one of our newer consoles, the S Bomberman. I don't want a 3D Bomberman. He he stinks. I don't care. I've never played a good 3D Bomberman. I want that return of that amazing, all the Hudson characters that you could be in that 10-player Bomberman and, and being able to see everything on screen simultaneously. Because uh, you used to be able to be Bonk, you could be uh, Master Higgins, and, uh, and all the other little uh, great Hudson recognizable characters and whatnot. Whenever I see a copy of uh, Bomberman Act Zero in a shop, I feel like ringing Hudson up and asking him for reparations. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just so offensive looking, mm. you know? It's sad. Anything else really strike your fancy there, John? Uh, well, yeah, well, I mean, I, I thought Nintendo showed a lot of good stuff, you know, and I showed their strength, really, because, um, I mean, you look at an Epic Yarn game, like, you know? And that, no, no, just say, just let me finish now. Right? Okay, all right. Uh, they get a game like that, okay, and uh, like somebody ma- was able to make that little platformer or whatever, like you know, would you be talking about that game if it didn't have an established character like Harvey Ennis? True. Yeah, everybody else is demoing things where you're in real life, and, you know, yeah, and, and, and you feel things, and and here they are with this action platformer, sure. Nintendo really have everybody buying into their franchises because they're the only ones that have survived since the 8-bit era, more or less, like, you know? True. And, um, you know, it's just as cool. Uh, I'm into New Zelda. The 3DS looks amazing. It's all good. Um, obviously, I said before, I'm looking forward to the WWE All-Stars WrestleFest thing. Sure. And uh, one last thing would be uh, I was checking out a game called uh, Vanquish, I think it was called. And it's basically... It, to uh, quote a friend of mine, it looks like Alien Soldier, like new, mm. but you're a guy in a robot suit, which kind of stinks. But I think Shinji Mikami's making it. It's the guy behind Resident Evil, and uh, it just looks really looks cool. It's like if you were able to do stylish stuff in Gears of War or something, because like it has a cover system. But when you jump out from behind, you can do like a big slide on your knees up to the other guy's uh, base thing, and then like jump above him and pull off little flashy tricks as you blow them all away. Oh, that sounds like uh, something Eric Alex would really enjoy. Yeah, definitely. I'd like just to uh, sign up for the newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks really cool. That was like that was the things that really kind of grabbed me, you know. Sure, sure. That sound, that sounds awesome. It's sort of like John Woo side scroller. Yeah, that's what they need. They need to bring out Stranglehold too. You know, <laughs> side scrolling. Yeah. Every no, but like, bombed. Just, yeah, I know, but they need to bring it out. You know, they just need to bring <laughs> it do. back. <laughs> they do. Give it another Public try. Service. Yeah. The, the, if they marry that with uh, Conan, there you go. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and while we're bringing up Nintendo at E3, uh, how about poor Miyamoto? I came to oh, America. Nothing yeah. works. <laughs> yeah. I was watching that stream live as it was happening, and um, I, I believe John Seiler on uh, the We Talk Games site was commenting about everything that he was seeing, and mm-hmm. he talked about the new Zelda, and I said, oh, great, yeah, a new Zelda that looks like it controls like poop, we'll yeah. say. 
Yeah. Um, but it's my understanding that, you know, the game controls a lot better. Sure. And I even said that in my post was that I imagine it probably works a lot better in my living room than it does on this big stage with all these lights and this inferior system is getting confused because there's too many <laughs> lights shining into it. Exactly. Now you're getting uh, the delay from those monitors, like, you know. Absolutely. Sure. But Miyamoto, I mean, he looked like he got chumped by the game. Yeah. He just looked like a chump trying to play it. And I, it was, I thought he was going to take that Wii Motion Plus and its one-to-one sword-wheeling capabilities and just commit seppuku right there. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm glad, though, that they opened with that because it sort of was forgotten about by the time they got to the 3DS. And the other thing that I was very interested about, which I didn't get to see during that press conference, was Epic Mini. Uh, Mickey, yeah. Rather. Epic, Epic Mickey. I would like and, to see Epic Mini. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the the stream kind of took a poop when that came on, and I got to see this really cool 2.5D Steamboat Willie stage. Mm. And I was just like, oh, that looks so good. But then, you know, buffering, buffering, garble. And when the stream kicked back in, I didn't get to see any more of that game. But I, I'm excited about that game because... A couple months ago, they showed some screen captures of what they had been working on, mm-hmm. and it really wasn't impressing me. Oh, I see. And But I gave you a little bit of backstory on how that all came about uh, offline, and uh, I'm still... Yeah, Warren Spector is a humongous Mickey Mouse fan. I'm just hoping uh, his you know fandom really turns that game into something. Sure. As cool as he says, he, he a lot. Of, it was pretty much a big Peter Molyvieu moment with him when he was talking about that, when he right. gave that interview about sure. the game, because sure. he was saying all these great things that were just clicking with me as I was reading it, and then I'm like, yeah, but when the game comes out, come on, yeah. let's be honest, you know. What else we got, Kyle? Besides well, the uh, last I'm battle, about the biggest news out of E3, which was the Nintendo 3DS, and it got me thinking about how. Nintendo is pretty much relentless when it comes to something they want to do. Mm. Um, flashback to 95 with the Virtual Boy. They, they've wanted to do 3D for a very long time. You can go even further back to the Nintendo, the NES, mm-hmm. uh, where you could play certain 3D games with the old uh, red and blue gimmick. Yeah. Uh, and then the camera bits. I mean, Game Boy camera ring a bell, <laughs> dual screen game and watch and i'm just like it's it's so nice to see all of these ideas over the the course of the history of nintendo all come together with a device that looks like it is absolutely awesome yeah but let's not forget the sega master systems 3d that was amazing Um, oh sure but to bring people up to speed that never played that or never got to play that i I have two sets of 3d glasses and it even carried over to the um to the laser active uh when that came out you could watch 3D brain dolphins. I can't remember what it was called. Brain something. Yeah, brain dolphins. <laughs> it was dolphins, and it had a pitch, and it was called brain something on it. You, uh, it was brains or dolphins. You had a pick. <laughs> but uh, the the Sega uh, 3D glasses for the Master System, you would wear them, of course, and there was a cord tethered on, and it had pinholes in there, and those pinholes would alternatingly be blocked by L. CD, the black LCD, would block each eye alternatingly in connection with how it would flash on the screen between the two left and right uh, versions of the screens that you were on. And there was a maze game, which looked great. There were versions of Space Harrier. Uh, There were even some where you would use the light gun and the 3D glasses at the same time. So that was really cool. doesn't get more futuristic than that. Hey, goof! Wow! (laughs) What, Stinky? 
Yeah. <laughs> Those new glasses. Yeah. They're active shutter glasses. You know what that means? It's the same old technology you're just talking about. Ah, I didn't know that. Wow. So you have to take the wire and plug it into your master system? No, now they cost $150. (laughs) If you want to put your own batteries in it, and if you want the ones that recharge by themselves, $200 a pair. My goodness. Holy cripes. Wow. Another reason to jump on the 3D television bandwagon. Yeah, why not? Stinky, on the cutting edge of technology. He is. All right, Stink. Well, back to the subject at hand. I think we were talking about the Nintendo 3DS. Sorry to uh, take an incredible side step there. That's cool. It's my understanding that the 3DS works sort of like lenticular printing. You know, those holographic mm-hmm. cards sure. that you'll occasionally see? Yeah, scan um, lines. And whereas these two screens will be placed on top of each other, and then the image will be projected between lines, which will create a depth of field, sort of like a diorama, like looking into a diorama. I see. Hey, maybe that's why all those scan lines are on the DSi XL. Get you used to that. Exactly. <laughs> All right, man. And you know what? They they do run vertically instead of horizontally. Huh? Yes. Wow. I don't know if on the 3DS, but yeah, yeah depending on which lenticular method you use, it w- runs one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, but that's how it is on a DSi XL. And, right. uh, and I would assume if you're going to do something in, with a 3D depth, a field, you would do it that way on, uh, on like a handheld HD device yeah. type screen. Probably. That's probably how they're doing it. Uh, what I was really excited about was the list of games or potential games that are potentially coming out for this potential system. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one of the titles on there was Pilot Wings, and of course I've yeah. I've talked at length how I love Pilot Wings, and yes, even Pilot Wings sixty four. Yeah. And the thought of playing Pilot Wings in three D, uh, where you can actually measure a depth of field, mm-hmm. is very exciting to me. Kid Icarus, eh, whatever. Yeah, I, okay. you know. It looks like it's a rail shooter. I don't know if it is. If that's a pack-in title, that's cool. If not, whatever. But at least the fanboys can shut up now. They got their Kid Icarus. It, it looks like Kid Icarus Res. You know, it looks like Res. Yeah. I already yeah. played Res. I don't so. need an angel man flying around doing that. <laughs> so, uh, but besides that, I mean, that's the obvious. Mm-hmm. Um what wasn't so obvious was, at least I felt, that this was the E3 where Sony woke up and said, Oh, yeah, we have a game system. <laughs> and they actually brought their A game. And whether you're you're liking the move or not, and you're, you're liking the 3D gimmicks or not, at least Sony wasn't odd man out this time. Mm-hmm. I think Microsoft took that card uh, mm. for this E3. Mm. But, you know, the move looked like it worked. Uh, I kind of agree with it's just a better version of the Wii stick, mm-hmm. but um, whatever. But it just it showed a focus on the PS3, which is great. However, that being said, I didn't really see anything for us sorry PSP holders. Uh, I don't... Especially uh, the PSP Go. Especially the PSP Go. So, you know, I don't know. It definitely was a little uh, sweet with the sour, but I was just happy to see that Sony didn't drop the ball this time. I did see that they they have a new version, and it's called the PSP Gone. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Or PSP went. Yes, it's... it's, That 3DS thing going to smoke it. That's true. Totally. And you know what? I think that... There may have been something in the works, but I, I, I think they realize that they're not competing with that console. And it looks like Nintendo, on the flip side, is very dedicated to that piece of hardware mm. and not so much to the Wii anymore. 
because let's face it, all three consoles, the death clock is ticking <laughs> right now for all of them. I mean, you have sure. an Xbox 360 Slim coming out. There you uh, go. Yeah. Y- you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's just my opinion. Any comments on that? those machine gun things there, John? I don't see where Sony could go right now if they were to try and make a new console because, I mean, it's pretty obvious that the PS3 hasn't even been... I mean, we haven't even seen it reach near its full potential yet, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, but, so be, yeah, it's just sorry. starting to pick up speed. Well, I think the hardware evolution is going to be these PlayStation Move and this Microsoft Connect. I, I'm not saying there's going to be another box coming out. I just I, I think there was, as far as Nintendo was concerned, there wasn't much focus on the Wii gotcha. because I don't know how, how much further you can go with any of the systems in particular, but especially the Wii. I've maxed out what I can put on my way, and I pretty much stopped playing it after that, as far as downloadable games is concerned. Gotcha. Well, where's the, where's the third-party games that are like actually putting some effort in? They're nowhere. Yeah, Nintendo's always struggled with that. I mean, since the 64. The third-party titles don't really make any noise or waves on a Nintendo console. It's but all first-party. The sad thing is nobody seems to be able to make games up to Nintendo's own standards. Well, well, I mean, that's not necessarily true. Like, uh, Konami came out with that Silent Hill Shattered Memories, which some, you know, I know people were hot and cold on it. I played it. I thought it was pretty cool. I enjoyed it. Great, yeah. I, I thought it, it, it had great uses of what the Wii does as far as the little speaker and the controller mm-hmm. and using the flashlight and things like that. It's just that, do I care about that game coming out on the Wii? I, I guess it just needs your me in there for you to care about the game. <laughs> and then, you know, like the Conduit was another example. Like I yeah. reviewed that on Conduit. a previous episode. So that was a, that was a pretty good first person shooter, but it's nowhere in comparison to what you're getting on the other contemporaries, you know, being the Xbox and the PlayStation. Exactly. It just has higher f- fidelity on those consoles. And look at Monster Hunter Cry. I mean, how many people even got that? Right. And, and it, it looks you know, amazing. That's a game that's humongous in Japan. And they they pretty much, I, I don't know if they, they went all out, but they definitely try to promote this you know game with the yeah. new console color and everything else. And it's just, eh, nothing. Yeah. You know? yeah, people I, just want to do their Wii Sports Resort and things like that. Yeah, I, th- I think the console definitely suffers from really bad labeling as far as it's a console for soccer moms and grandparents and people who want to lose weight and not for video gamers even though there are some great games on there yeah it's got nintendo-itis john's a fan of no more heroes i was a fan of king's Mm -hmm. story these are great third-party games nobody's playing them Mm mm-hmm you know, yeah, it's really sad because there's so many rich experiences out there, you know, that you're not going to get anywhere else. Sure. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of games that I wonder if anybody cares about anymore, Gran Turismo. Anybody care about this game anymore? Because I no. certainly don't. Uh, what, no. what is that? Racing? Yeah, yeah. Gran Turismo <laughs> eventually is coming out this fall. It's It's been promised since the PlayStation 3 dropped. Wasn't that the one that you paid $30 for a demo? Yes. Yeah, yeah. that was it. Oh, okay. And in a world of burnout and blur and all these other really fun, almost arcadey racing yeah. games, mm-hmm. do we really care about very serious mm-hmm. driving sim? They've renamed it, though. Did you know that? No. What are they renaming it? Gran Turismo Forever. Wow. <laughs> Is that Pretty for real? No. All oh, right. <laughs> I was like, that's some bad marketing right there. <laughs> I, uh, I'll tell you what it does do. It it makes me want to pay for the $10 racing games on my iPad. That's what hearing yeah. that Gran Turismo is coming out. And makes I'll be me honest, I'm more, I'm more interested in a Duke Nukem game than I am in uh, wow. Gran Turismo. Wow. 
So, uh, you know, I, I think that series definitely dropped the ball. But, hey, another thing I'm very excited about, and I hope the rest of you are, is Twisted Metal coming back. Hmm. Yeah, I saw that, but I, I didn't really feel like bringing it up. No? Didn't tickle your fancy? It, I've never been a fan of that title. Oh, see, I dropped off at two, but I have great memories of playing with my pops and my little brother. And uh, I'm excited for the game to come back. I see. Uh, hopefully it's as good as I want it to be. I really became a fan of that Vigilantate, or whatever it was called. Oh, yeah. With it, whatever oh, it was. Yeah. You know, Vigilante you, 8. Yeah, something like that. I, I really liked that game. I mean, I, I had the first one, the second one. I'm not sure if you could play that on two PlayStations. I was one of the guys that had two PlayStations, two televisions, and that connector cable. Because... Command and Conquer Red Alert. How else would you play that? <laughs> but no, when when I worked at a video game store, people would bring in my PlayStation was in a fire. It doesn't, you know. Okay, and then I would, you know, I would Frankenstein and I Frankenstein my second system together. And if you remember, PlayStation One, after a couple months, you had to put it on its side to make it work anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I would Dremel out a giant hole right above the power supply so that it wouldn't it wouldn't warp the lens on the CD reader there so um, my playstations have like this giant see-through vent area uh, that you could touch and electrocute yourself if you felt like it <laughs> Very uh, nice. yeah but that's how i got my second system and i would play all my favorite uh, racing games and things like this uh, against uh, someone else and get that real arcade feel people seem to be happy with that twisted metal but when it came on i was just like really <laughs> it, it just yeah. seemed hard to control for me i don't know I, know, I, I just never a fan of it. I thought, like, I mean, I, I don't know. I just didn't think anyone cared about it anymore. Well, I do. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I didn't think it was as big of a announcement as, right. they, as they made it on stage. But I was uh, excited about hearing that it's back. Right on. I'm like a Dave twisted Jeff. metal heathen. I liked the ones that everyone else hated. Ah. I like Twisted Metal 3 or 4 or whatever they were. The ones with like Rob Zombie in them for no apparent good reason. <laughs> Crush Hour, wasn't that one? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember it. that that was uh, that was a, one of the first PlayStation 2 games that I got for like $3 or whatever. And so that, that does hold a special place as one of the first new games that dropped in price like almost immediately. I think it launched at $20. I could be mistaken, but it wasn't long before that was like under 5 bucks. So, Yeah, yeah that was a hot genre for half a cup of coffee with <laughs> right. uh, the vehicle combat games. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I don't know. I'm seeing multiplayer potential mm-hmm. and co-op and things like that, so that's why I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm willing to give it a try. I think on the newer consoles, I think they have a real good chance of making a very controllable and um, accessible title. Right. I'd love to see, like, Micro Machines come back. Yeah. <laughs> with new, you know, with HD graphics, that would be sweet. That would be. What was the, what was the one? Oh, Rush Hour. Rush Hour was called. I don't know if you remember that one. I think that yeah, was. Jackie Chan. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was what was confusing about it. it. You know, it came out with almost in sync with that movie, but it was strictly a racing game, but it had more that pulled back micro machine type of feel to it, except that it really, really played well because let's face it, micro machines 
was never a fully realized title, although you know it was, it was really cool. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't have the greatest uh, racing experience, but this Rush Hour had a really good racing experience, and I think it was garage shaded and stuff like that, which was big news back in, back then when it came out. But that was a real solid title. I'd even like to see that released, you know, in the PlayStation Store or something. Uh, but then again, I'm sure if I looked at that 3D now, it would look like poop. But um, any memories of earlier E3s? I know that I brought it up a lot uh, on our one-on-ones, but um, anything more to add? I think that the first one had two very historic flops. Sure. And that was the Virtual Boy from Nintendo. Yeah. And then, of course, the infamous, and, I, and some people have forgotten about this, the release of the Sega Saturn. Sure. And how they're like, it's in stores right now. And people were like, what? It is? And then they couldn't find it. When they did find it at that price tag, they weren't interested yeah. in buying it. Yeah, the, the price, you know, that was like the last thing they announced about it. You know, I was like, I need this. And then all of a sudden, whammo. I love watching <laughs> all that footage. The old, um, the old game shows and all that from the early 90s. Mm-hmm. It might just be before E3. It might be some from the CES and stuff like that. Right. But uh, it was back when they thought virtual reality was going to be the thing. <laughs> the next big thing, yes. Yeah. You know? People still wanted Sonic the Hedgehog, you know. Just, <laughs> no, nobody wants either. It's exactly. just, <laughs> the world changes. Yes, Eric, Alex, anything to add? I know I brought you in this uh, uh, last minute, but if you have any, did you watch any of the E three? I caught a, a glimpses of it. You know, I have to say, I think both the Move and the Connect, and more so the Connect, were giant missteps for their respective companies. Hmm. I it just uh, I look at them and I was like, "What? What are you doing?" <laughs> Everybody is going to look at you and go, "Yeah, that we already did this for a lot cheaper, for a lot yeah. longer." I mean, how? Yeah, you know, I mean, you're you're jumping on a bandwagon that everybody else is tired of now. Yeah, you guys were just saying, no, I don't really play my Wii anymore. Well, yeah. you can play it again now on your PS3 or on your Xbox. <laughs> That's the thing to is, pull another 150 bucks. Exactly. The people who who are going to be really hot and interested in this already have the Wii. Yeah. Right. That I mean that's what I took out of it, especially with the uh Connect. And I'm just like I'm all I kept thinking was you're in the movies. You're in the movies. You're in the movies. <laughs> that's all I kept saying. Like, yeah. That Connect thing, I mean I just shudder to think at how difficult it's gonna be to keep that thing working. Mm. At least with the move there's something you hold on to. Right, right. It seems a lot more solid tech. This Connect thing seems kind of iffy to me. I think we need to wait for something like the interaction of the Connect when we actually have those holograms that come out. And we can really touch the holograms. You know what I mean? Yeah. The holodeck. Yeah, exactly. That's when we can have the Connect. I think. And, and speaking of in the movies, Chiz and I were in the movies once and only once. That's how much we enjoyed being in the movies. We never want to be in the movies again. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can just imagine. Why do people insist on having typos as the name of their you know, technology? You know? <laughs> I'll never get that. Like, you know? I mean, Natal was bad enough, but Connect? It's, it's, you know, uh, did Bill Gates like write, like say it or something? And like, he had like, a bad Secretary, and she just took it down wrong, and everyone was like, "Whoa, don't question Bill." Yeah. You know, just, don't I need to it. get the name. Why is it called Connect? That doesn't make sense to me. Connect with Kinetic. what? Yeah, it's not connected to anything. You're just out in space. <laughs> it's not. It's not connected to anything. That's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. 
I just can't wait for my friends to come over and start yelling voice commands at my Xbox to turn it on, <laughs> off, switch a channel. I forgot about this that. game. You know, turn this, this game on. That's exact. That's like 1986 Mac technology finally coming to our now generation systems. That's, that's zero way. That's, that's lovely. That it's main screen turn on. Yeah. Because you piece it together though with all those old Nintendo gimmicks, like the ones that you moved your hands to do, and the, the headset with the eyepiece that had the microphone. Yeah. Yes. You just get a couple of them, throw them together, and you've got to connect. Fire, <laughs> fire, fire. I, I think I was a model for that headpiece once. All right, everybody. Well, hey, thank you very much for your E3 observations. I hope we put our uh, little WTG spin on it. I'm sure that I think that we did. I think we've satisfied that quota. Thanks, everyone, for being on the council, and I'll talk to you next time on the We Talk Games. Thanks. Bye. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Good memories. Good memories. All right, let's go to our in-house E3 correspondent. Keith, open up for 2 R. Sherman Oaks, California, 2 R. Yo, me, that was me driving by on my car from Blur. Aha! So, uh, you enjoying the Blur at all? To be completely honest, I haven't had a chance to play it yet. I literally just uh, cracked the cellophane about 20 minutes ago. Wow. Uh, but it looks like it's going to be a, a tremendous uh, amount of time. Now, Tupayaram, we've talked about your history before a little bit, your experiences with uh, GamePro, I think, and also mm-hmm. with something that was near and dear to my heart, the, the Mac. The Mac Addict Network, or MAN for short. Ah, Mac Attic Network. I didn't know it was called Man. That's that's something. Now, I know that you were also involved in something to do with media and something to do with internet buzz and something of this nature. And it was also game-related, and I was just exposed to this uh, maybe about a month or two ago. Can you tell us a little bit about that, if you know what I'm hinting at? Oh, absolutely. Uh, a very good friend of mine that I met over the internet uh, goes by the name of Gary the Dungeon Master. That's him. Uh, he works with the DeSoto Institute of Problemology, and he helps keep everybody current on you know various problems in the world and how to solve them. One of the problems that he was trying to solve was how to play Halo 3 on the 14-inch television that you kind of stole from your mom when she wasn't watching Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> And so he managed to drag it down into his basement. And uh, if you poke around on the Video Power website, there might actually be a a recording of his experience playing Halo 3 straight through for 96 hours because the reset button burned out. Wow. That's that's intriguing. That's a mystery. It's a bit of a mystery as well. But yes, I I, I was exposed to this fella. And it's something old, something new. Uh, Something borrowed, something dungeon-y. I like that. Absolutely, because yeah. let's face it, Gary's never going to get a date, let alone a wife. So, <laughs> uh, Well, I still root for the underdog. And it doesn't get much more under than Gary. <laughs> true, true. Very good. And now, what has been going on lately? Now, I, I heard that there was some type of thing going out, on over there at the West Coast, the E3. We talked about it a little bit uh, with the council. So what's going on there? It's almost not even worth talking about. E3 is just this little industry-only trade show. They do a little bit of releases about video games, but mostly it's very dry just for the media. Uh, No, actually, this year's E3 was one of the biggest ever because all of the companies were trying to get everybody excited about the new controllers that they were bringing out. Sony, as part of its uh, effort to build buzz around the move, actually took over three Best Buys in Los Angeles and had uh, a couple of games on hand to demo. They had the uh, move 
answer to Wii Sports on hand, and they also had the uh, Start the Party game, which is you know basically just the sit around with a couple of friends and wave funny-looking ones at the screen and stuff happens kind of games. As somebody who has put a fairly good amount of time in front of a Wii console, a lot of people have both praised and negated the move because it seems to just be you know, sort of the stepped-up version of the Wii, you know, with a little bit more attention to detail, a little bit more professionalism, a little bit more polish. Both for better and for worse, that's absolutely correct. I've played with both the Wii and the Wii Plus motion control, and a small flick of your wrist will send the cursor completely scattering across the screen. It's very difficult to be immersed in the games because you don't necessarily have a sense of being in control. You have a sense of just sort of flailing your hands around and hoping that what happens on the screen is what you actually want to have happen. Uh, The move is absolutely precision personified Hmm. uh, to the extent that a piece of animate hardware can personify anything. Now, isn't it true that in some states you cannot actually have music playing while you're using these flashing lights and waving your arms around? I think, especially if you have a pacifier. You can have them, those things. You just have to have a minimum amount of square footage and a liquor license. Okay, very good, very good. That's the only thing I was worried about. Check your jurisdictions. Your mileage may vary. Now, is this supposed to come out at a high price tag, or I, I saw it's, that the the other thing was a, a buck fifty, which is kind of uh, kind of high. Well, like the Connectix is a buck fifty, but it has a slight disadvantage in that you have to have a certain amount of dedicated floor space, and as you've pointed out more than once on here on We Talk Games, absolutely perfect lighting for the thing to work correctly. Sure. Uh, the, the real strength of the move is that it has some motion sensing in the wands themselves, and it also relies on the PlayStation Eye to track the brightly colored balls that are at the end of the move. And the combination of these two things gives you an absolute sense of precision. The one that I was able to play, spend the most time on at the demo was the archery game. And I have to tell you, when you're holding the wands in the position of the archery, the slightest little movement of your hand will make a corresponding amount of movement on the bowstring, you actually rotate your torso rather than your arms to line the shot up, just like you would with an actual bow and arrow. Hmm. And because of the fact that the optical system is able to track the bulbs on the ends of the wands, it actually corresponds the movement of your torso to the movement of the torso of the person on the screen. It's not perfect virtual reality yet, mm-hmm. but from what's available on the market today, or rather what will be available on the market as of September 19th, it's absolutely the closest that you can come at this time. That brings up another question that, of course, I have, and I don't know if the answer is out there, but I already own the PlayStation Eye because I bought the Eye of the Beholder, which... <laughs> You know, it's the future of table tapper card games. Uh, the future of card games that everybody else didn't realize was the future and didn't buy, yes. Right. But, you know, I had to. When I wanted to pick up a PS3i for the different downloadable games and fun I thought I was going to have. Well, you know, I actually bought the PS3i, uh, the PlayStation i, because I really loved Buzz. And Buzz always wants to take your picture when you complete a round or win and you do something funny and you do that. So I needed to get it. And when I was going to get it, I was like, well, you know what? I mean, I might as well get this card game with it. Why just buy the stupid thing itself and pay almost as much? So uh, that's why I picked up Eye of the Beholder. Now, I am worried that when the move comes out that I will have two PlayStation eyes and then I will be sad. At least the rumors at this point are you'll be able to buy the individual components so that you 
can just buy the things you actually need. The downside to that is that, you know, you, you kind of have to pay 80 bucks in order to get in, which, you know, you buy two of those things, you might as well buy a Wii if all you're worried about is motion control. <laughs> right. Uh, to me, I think the difference is going to be how the software is implemented. Mm-hmm. With the Wii, obviously, the motion is pretty much the only sense of input. So all the games that are coming out for the Wii are having to sort of jam motion into them, whether or not it makes sense. Mm-hmm. With the PlayStation, because it's being sold as an aftermarket peripheral rather than as the only interface, it gives you more freedom and flexibility in terms of how you can design things. The big example is SOCOM, which with your controller will play pretty much like any other first-person shooter on the PS3, but with the move, when you enter into the sniping portions, you can use it to more precisely and more quickly line your target up, which will give you an edge over somebody that's trying to just do it with their thumbs. I see, I see. And that sort of you know purpose-driven context-specific sort of things are not really something that you can design on the Wii right now because the Wii just has to do everything that way. Mm -hmm. I think we fulfilled our E3 quota for this episode. And, you know, we tried to put our own little We Talk Games spin on it. I hope that we've succeeded at that. But uh, have you been playing any other PlayStation 3 games that you want to bring to the show today? I have two words for you, my friend. Mod Nation Racers. I picked this disc up on the day that it came out, which is unusual, and I don't think it came out of my PlayStation for about three weeks. Oh, great. When I played the demo of this, uh, it was a little choppy, and I was worried about that. Has that been smoothed out, or is it still is the framework still That has still been smoothed out quite okay. a bit. The reason the demo is choppy is because it does a lot of loading of things on the fly. Mm. Uh, and that's actually been the, the most solid piece of criticism about this game, is that the load time in between levels can get a little crazy. The reason for that is that they're basically the levels are only storing coordinates for things, so that it has to sort of pre-render all of the levels before you can actually start racing, which, in the case of some really quick, short races, leads to load times that are longer than the actual driving. I see. Uh, With that being said, if you can get around the load times, the game has a combination of the most solid kart racing physics that I've really seen on any platform that I've tried, (laughs) married to one of the most intelligent design systems that is a real combination between the absolute unbridled control that you have in Little Big Planet and the corresponding requirement of sitting through a lot of tutorials, getting up a very steep learning curve, having a fair amount of skill yourself as a designer, mm-hmm. and the sort of point-and-click construction set stuff that we had to play with in the early 80s. This gives you a very good degree of freedom, but it has a lot of assists built into it. The big one is what they call the auto-populate feature for the track designer. You literally just drive a big steamroller around to make the track look the shape you want it to look. It'll automatically adjust the elevation as you go up and down, which is a real nice feature. And then you push the auto-populate button, and you've automatically got scenery and obstacles on the track and things for you to pick up to shoot the other racers with, and it'll allows you to create something that is really a lot of fun to play in just about 10 or 12 minutes, which is great for when you've got a bunch of people over, you decide you've played with the tracks that came with the game enough, you want to just create something yourselves, you literally just roll it out, auto-populate, and go. I've seen that demo, and that looks pretty amazing. Just it, drive it, it around and make it is the best trade-off I've seen between creativity and not wanting to put a lot of time into it. Now, the other half of that is the tools have options to be very deep. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to sink 10 or 12 hours into designing the perfect track, you have that freedom, you have those capabilities, you can get 
almost down to the level of pixel granulation, you know, to make the banks just the right degrees, to make the jumps have just the right distance. The Mod Nation Razor team have famously said that they used those tools themselves to design all the content that came on the disc. Wow. So if you're willing to put the time into it, you can absolutely produce something that looks just as polished as what the game ships with. There's also a network, I take it, that you can, of course, share other people's tracks. And I think, I guess you drive to a certain location to make this happen, like a store area or something? There is. The default hub for the game is the mod spot, which is split into the creation side and the racing side. Okay. If all you want to do is race, you can ignore the creation side altogether, which is, I think, a very nice trade-off. And... You know, as mentioned, all that it's really taking from the level formats and the racer formats, etc., is just the coordinates, and it leaves your client do all of the rendering, which means you can download a track or a cart or a racer in literally seconds, even uh, if you don't have broadband. Gotcha, gotcha. And like you mentioned, I guess you can also create your little drivers and your little cars uh, as mm-hmm. well as tracks. It gives you a good degree of control. You can't really create things from scratch. Mm-hmm. You're limited to what the game comes bu- built in with in terms of shapes. Within that, you have unbridled control over colors. You can place stickers anywhere. So if you're willing to kind of work within the limitations of the system, you can create just about anything. And you know, there's already a number of different websites that have come up to just celebrate the creations that people have come up with. Uh, IGN in particular has a weekly feature, and they've shown people that have created things like Iron Man and George Burns from The Simpsons, and they look not just recognizable, but really they literally look like if you took the license and took the version of the character and stylized it into what the game will support, it's exactly what they would look like. Gotcha. And, of course, I have to ask, did someone create level 1-1 of Super Mario Brothers? <laughs> I haven't seen one for Super Mario Brothers, but absolutely every track from every version of Super Mario Kart is oh, there for your downloading pleasure. I see, I see. Wow, that's something. <laughs> Uh, that's the type of thing that uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, legal type of people can't sleep at night because of things like that. Hey, that sounds really cool. I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out, give it a, another try. It is a little on the problematic side as far as load times are concerned. Uh, the good news is that the designers are aware of that, and they have said in multiple interviews that the first patch that they release is going to focus exclusively on addressing the load time issue rather than trying to add new features. Fantastic. I just want to throw out one more shameless plug to say if anybody is playing Mod Nation Racers, check out my track, The Flying Dutchman. I'm very proud of it, and I've gotten some good feedback on it. So I'd be interested to hear what the We Talk Games community thinks of it. All right, man. And, of course, you know, make sure you stop by WeTalkGames.com and be part of that community. It's so small right now. It's it's such a fraction of our listenership, but yet a very, very strong fraction. So why not join that rational fraction that is up at WeTalkGames.com? It's so easy to join and be a part of that community and join the different groups and things. You can create a Mod Nation group that'll have two members. Absolutely. All the cool kids are joining it. You want to be cool, don't you? And join that group. I bet this hairy nipple could get more fans than Stinky the Game Master. Hey, 2 R, thank you very much for once again adding some PS3 joy to our episodic episodes. And we'll talk to you next time on We Talk Games. See you now. See you next month, man. Bye. Bye-bye. I always like hearing from 2 I always like talking a little bit of PS3. Is that it, Keith? Oh, achievements. Fantastic. Let's get Jasoni on the line. Wisconsin! Go, Jasonia. Hi. Welcome on to We Talk Games. Welcome to your achievement section. Now, will we just be talking achievements, or do we have any trophies in here today? 
Well, we have achievements largely, but I believe some of these games may be found on PlayStation 3, so there may be some trophies associated with them as well. Okay. Um, I'll speak to the trophies if I know anything about it. All right, man, hit me. All right, game number one. We will start with one that I believe does have trophies, actually. We'll start with Battlefield Bad Company 2. Ah. It's been out for a while. We've had some interesting discussion about it on the We Talk Games buddy system, which plug everybody should go on there i think it's fantastic it is hey don't go in the water or on the websites without your buddies that's one thing we teach on there buddy system right right so this game is a game i typically try to avoid i don't like any things of this sorts where you're playing against a lot of people online because online people can be mean and and sometimes it's tough if you just jump into it because there's a lot of pros out there as well uh, so i received this game for really really cheap and i said hey i'll give it a try and i got on there and yeah, it's pretty much your first person shooter and it's it's fun and i think because i haven't played many first person shooters i found some additional fun out of it but battlefield bad company 2 is kind of challenging i have to say on the multiplayer side of things which is where the bulk of the game is single player is a fun linear here's like eight missions go through them you're done Uh, so as a game i found it probably to be better than i was expecting uh, but that's not saying much because i'm my expertise is not in this area so after i started playing i thought well since i like my achievements they're all yummy and good i should try to see what i can do for them so I went through, and turns out that the achievements for Battlefield Bad Company 2 are not that difficult. More than half of them reside in the single-player missions, which are fairly easy and somewhat fun. And the other half are on multiplayer, which a lot of it is just play for a lot of time, and you'll get most of them. There are a few challenging ones that are event-specific, such as destroy buildings in a certain manner, kill people with certain weapons, etc. Mm-hmm. I think if you get in this game a little bit, play it online, the achievements are not too difficult to come by. So I would say that as a game, I'm really on the fence about this one. I, I don't. My heart doesn't want to recommend it, but I think <laughs> it's a good game. So I would say if you're thinking about this game, perhaps maybe wait till it's a little cheaper and then it'll be really worth your time. On the achievement side of things, I would not say you should buy the game just to pick up trophies or achievements but if you happen to buy it you should have an easy enough time taking out more than half the achievements and if you really want to go for the full 1000 retail not too challenging if you spend a lot of time on it and let me ask you uh, because i played through the first one is there an achievement for like running over people with uh, your vehicle and things like this from memory no but there are things similar to that and that's not one specifically but there are ones where you have to blow up houses with people inside of them okay you have to you know, use certain weapons in certain ways to get different types of kills. There's one achievement where, as an engineer, you have a repair drill, basically, which repairs vehicles. And one of the achievements is to kill a person with this drill. So right. it was quite enjoyable and relaxing to me to be able to walk up to somebody who was sniping and waiting where they shouldn't be waiting with this drill and just plug them in the head and, and get an achievement for doing it. So... There are some fun, quirky achievements, but um, in the end, it's pretty straightforward. Shoot things, they die, you win. The end. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, game number two is Green Day Rock Band. Okay, we talked about this. So I won't get into the game too much. Uh, My one or two sentences on gameplay are 
I was hoping for more of a Beatles rock band. Instead, I think I found a Green Day skin on top of rock band too, which in no way is bad. It's just not, look at the pretty colors. Mm. Here's Beatles rock band. Uh, Green Day themselves, I think, I used to be a fan of them, so I knew all their older stuff backwards, forwards. In fact, I sang through all the older stuff, 100% expert, first try, felt proud. Got to the newer stuff, couldn't figure out a thing because I don't know it that well. So I think you have to kind of like Green Day in this case, unlike the Beatles where they're enough in pop culture that anyone can pick it up. On the achievement side for Green Day Rock Band, the achievements are tied to the story a lot. There's a lot of play through the story, which seems like that's the standard for the music games now there's a lot of once you make it through the story progression you have a lot of achievements more than usual there are a number of achievements that say do a certain level of difficulty on this song with this instrument or do this well on a song so i think on the achievement side this game is a little more challenging for achievements and trophies because it is on playstation 3 than other music games that said, I don't think it's impossible. I think it's another case of if you know your music games and you are able to play through an expert easily, you shouldn't have a problem with the achievements. But if you struggle a little bit or you're just playing for fun, you might have a more challenging time. So as a game, I would say, I would probably say avoid it unless you like Green Day a little bit. Mm-hmm. And on the achievement side, I would say if you buy the game, uh, it's worth trying to get some of the achievements, but it's going to take a lot of time to get them all. So you might you might actually want to avoid the achievements on this one, unless you really like the game. Then I'd say go for it. It's not a waste of your time in that case, and it's all right then. Right on, man. The third game to cover this time, I'm going back in time a little bit. Uh, this game is called Alone in the Dark. Now, this came out a while ago for Xbox, and I picked it up simply for the achievements not really knowing what to expect, but just hearing that it's about an eight-hour game and it's easy to get all the achievements. And what I found was one of the most innovative and compelling stories I've played on Xbox 360 ever, Mm -hmm. which for a bargain game, I was thoroughly impressed. Alone in the Dark is very trippy. It's very sci-fi and very dark. And there are a lot of things, I don't want to spoil any of it, but I would say it's it's very enjoyable because you don't know what to expect and you don't know where the twists and turns are. And it's really set up in an interesting way where you can basically skip any parts of the game you want because it's kind of set up like eight episodes of a TV show. And after each episode, there's a previously on Alone in the Dark and it gives you the video recap of what's <laughs> happened in the story. I see. It's very, very interesting. So as a game, this completely blew me away. On the achievement side, as I figured beforehand very easy to get 1000 gamer score on it which is the full retail points you just play through in a matter of i'd say 8 to 12 hours and you get pretty much everything i don't think there's too much out of the way there's one achievement which is a little more time consuming but you go online you grab a guide you're good to go so alone in the dark for me is really one of the bigger surprises i've played in a long time and i'd recommend it strongly as a game and also for the achievements involved yeah, you know, Alone in the Dark's been around for a while. The 3DO version, uh, 1992 sort of uh, horror type stuff also came out for the for Windows, I think, and the Mac. And uh, it re- also reminds me of Seventh Guest for some reason. I think that came out for CDI and uh, the Windows and the Mac. But I think Seventh Guest was a lot more about puzzle solving. Now, this is a remake, I guess. When, when did this come out? Uh, about two years ago or something? The re- release date, uh, according to Seventh 
looking at says June 24, 2008. Oh, so a okay. couple of years ago. Uh, as far as I know, not really remembering the older Low in the Darks, I believe this is a either continuation of the story or reimagining. I don't think it's verbatim what the old games were, but I think it's the same style and either a reboot or a continuation. But don't quote me on that. It's just my impression. And is this presented in a 3D type of scenario? And do you walk through? What's the like perspective on it? Uh, yes, it's, I believe it's third person. Uh, and if I remember correctly, you can switch the first person to, uh, either at will or in certain situations. So it's, it's kind of like, I think you have your choice if you want to view it, which is kind of interesting to me as well. Letting the, the player choose a lot of the times. All right. Is there puzzle solving or, uh, is it just don't get killed by a ghost? Um, there are some puzzles involved. I think most of them happen to Toward the end, there's some puzzle solving. That most of the game, though, is don't get killed by the, I guess they're zombie, vampire, humans. I forget exactly what they are, and I don't want to give too much away. But they're they're people <laughs> that jump around with superpowers. Uh, so just don't get killed by them is the point of it. But there's a car driving mechanic in the game, which for the most part is just getting from point A to point B. But there's a specific getaway scene, which is very thematic and there are music cues that happen as you're driving along so that level alone i thought was very interesting because it's different than the rest of the game because the rest of the game is mostly third person and it's very very well done so there's, okay. there's all sorts of different perspectives and ways this game is presented right on me now uh jasoni are you a fan of hp lovecraft at all I do not know what that is, to be honest. Okay, very good, very good. So All I right. will say no. He was a writer. I'm sure you heard of the Necronomicon. Ne- I have. Necronomicon. And a lot of people, you know, even even today, believe that that's some sort of real type of book of, of different demons and things you can summon and things like this. But he was the guy that, that wrote about that first. And mm-hmm. this game draws on, on some of that mythology, uh, at least the original one did. Well, I, I, that Necronomicon, I wouldn't mess with that stuff. I saw a documentary once called Evil Dead 2. That yeah. guy got in some big trouble dealing with that book. So I know I know to stay away from that now. Yeah, so many horror movies drew off of, of Lovecraft. If, if you watch just straight-up movies based on Lovecraft, they're usually not so good. But the spin-off ones, that, the, the Pinhead and stuff from um, Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2 and Hellraiser 7 and Hellraiser 13, those uh, all... <laughs> You know, draw on some of that type of mythology. And even in our comics, we have uh, tons of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft leakage going on there. Hey, all right, pal. Well, thanks for telling me. I, I really wanted to know about Alone in Dark because I don't think we've ever talked about it on the show before. So that's great to know. And uh, it bargain bin game, you say. So um, uh, that sounds good to me. All right, pal. Well, I'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. Thank See you. you. Bye. All right, bye. All right. Now, I- I'm very, very pleased with this episode. I really had a great time. My butt fell asleep. Well, hopefully next month we'll have some furniture in here stink. Hey, you know what? That reminds me. Our login to win. We still haven't really advertised this at WeTalkGames.com, but it's been going on for the past month, and I will be posting the winners at WeTalkGames.com. All you have to do is go to WeTalkGames.com and log in with any of your pre-existing social media networking logins like Facebook, Twitter, Yahoo, Google, your Windows Live ID that you use on your Xbox. Or you could create a new account if you like that's solely specific to We Talk Games. But 
If you have one of these social media networking logins, you can just log in right with that. And then each month we'll be giving away We Talk Games and video game related prizes. So log in to win. Thank you very much for listening to our labor of love. We enjoy making this and we hope that you enjoy listening to it. Thanks go out to everyone involved with making this episode possible. Please join us next time on We Talk Games. Bye now. We Talk Games.